This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I'm Jason Mann, and with me as always, Rich Krejci. Rich, great to be back with you. Yeah, it's been too long, but uh, I'm excited about this one. This is an episode that we've, I think even from the first time we sort of had the idea of doing this show, this is one we've wanted to do, so I'm, I'm very excited about this one. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 70s, and I think one reason that I was excited about doing this because you know, Kareem's 80s career is just such well-worn territory, but <clears throat> I think his 70s accomplishments are generally dismissed with a sentence or two. But, you know, he was part of some really dominant, interesting, you, you know, Bucks teams that um, accomplished a lot, maybe could have accomplished more. You know, I, def- I know we're going to talk a little bit about that and sort of in a time of basketball history that's generally overlooked for, you know, some reasons we've talked about before, whether it's, yeah. you know, just kind of complicated there's no dominant team there's so much expansion and shifting of teams around and you know there's the 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 superstars of the 70s are all just it's just not quite the same as it is and you know that that glory you know the the years of the 60s with Russell and Chamberlain and then of course in the 80s with Magic and Bird and and beyond you know in more recent times but um you know I just I think there's a lot to unpack here Kareem's just a, a really fascinating figure in a lot of ways um and i i think is in the conversation um for you know maybe greatest player ever i i know that that's there's gonna be some people who are going to hem and haw and and be shocked by me saying something like that but i, <laughs> I but i i think there's a strong case here and, and, yeah. and a lot of it is because of just the extraordinary impact he had in his first decade of play Certainly. And we'll talk a little bit, you know, as we get closer or when we get into those uh, of talking about sort of him and his, his peers and, you know, he's head and shoulders above his peers. But, you know, all time, where does he rank in this sort of stuff? No, I think I think it's definitely an interesting case. And it's something that we're at some point going to do a show about. That's one that we've always sort of kept in our back pocket is do like the greatest ever show, because a lot of times you don't get that. You get a lot of people that just go, oh, it's Jordan. You know what I mean? Or, oh, it's this guy. Well, you know, I think there are a few guys that we could, even if it's not necessarily, you know, even if we find that, yeah, it, it is Jordan or whatever. I think the discussion is healthy and good. I think you have to do more than just kind of, you know, haphazardly say, ah, no, it's Jordan and nobody else is in the conversation because, and we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, you know, there's a very good reason that Kareem should be in there. I mean, just just on the body of work, the success, the statistical stuff, you know, we have some play index stuff that puts him above and beyond, you know, every other people. There's a lot of stuff there for Kareem. To, to for there are probably going to be people, as you said, that are going to say, ah, you're out of your mind that he would be the best ever. But you know what? 
I think it's a decent conversation to have, and I think it's one that we, we're going to have a little bit here, and I think we should have on a bigger level at some point as well. Yeah, well, I mean, he, of course, you know, he has the most points ever, so that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and six-time MVP, which is a record, uh, a 19-time All-Star, um, 15 times All-NBA, uh, 10 times All-First-Team NBA, uh, six championships, was in 10 NBA Finals, um, only a two-time scoring champion, but you know we're not going to hold that against him. Um, and uh, like I said, played 20 seasons until he was 42. The most minutes of all time, all time. Uh, at the time he retired, he was first in blocks and rebounds. He's now third in both categories, um, and is just a you know he he's a renaissance man too. I mean, this doesn't have to do with you know his greatest ever legacy, but you know he's written nine books with subjects ranging from World War II, the Harlem Renaissance, and African American inventors. He's produced documentaries chronicling the origin of, of uh, professional basketball and the civil mm-hmm. rights movement. Also, an actor and activist. A big jazz aficionado. I mean, he's just a um, you know, he's a complicated figure. In the um, '70s, he was often sort of looked upon as very insular, um, maybe difficult to you know penetrate. His it, it just difficult to kind of get him to say anything or to be introspective at all. Um, although there are some really good pieces of journalism where he does open up some, but I think yeah. just kind of from day to day, he was a guy that people looked on with suspicion and whether it was because of um you know he be him being very outspoken about race him changing his name and uh converting to islam and and that being something that you know um unusual at the time and was maybe difficult for some fans and some observers to sort of understand where he was coming from and uh, things like that and just being, you know, a guy who was a, you know, seven foot two or, or whatever. I think his height is always kind of a, a source of uh, of mystery um, <laughs> giant who um, was expected to dominate like the great players do every single time. And when he didn't that error, when his team didn't, that was sort of, you know, he was looked upon of suspicion or maybe his heart wasn't in it or sure. things like that. So, I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of the same Wilt stuff that, that you get with a lot of, when you read a lot of journalism on Wilt or whatever at the time where it, it's, you know, people just assume because these guys are just monsters that every time they come down court, they should score, <laughs> you know, they should dunk on everybody. Right. Do, and it, it's just, it's just not realistic it, and that their team should always win if they're on the court. Exactly. You know, Although it's, it's, if you look at his high school and college career, which we're going to do a yeah, little bit, I mean, it's close, like, yeah. yeah, he basically <laughs> did. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think he, he's just he's fascinating on a just, uh, you know, a a personal, uh, a basketball, uh, you know, political and societal level. I mean, he and this time period are just so fascinating to, to me. And I think there's a lot of good things we're going to unpack here. Um, and uh, in fact, next we're going to uh, one thing I want I, I've always been interested in talking about is how Bucks fans feel about Kareem. You know, he, right. he he was there for the the team's greatest success very early on in the franchise's history, but then he left under kind of you you know it. You look at sort of like it. It's nothing compared to the feelings were that were there when LeBron left Cleveland or. Um, certain other circumstances, but there definitely were some, you know, feelings he had about Milwaukee and the, the way that fans kind of felt about him toward the end that I, I think are interesting to talk about. So we're going to talk to um, Dakota Schmidt, who is a Bucks fan and is a prolific uh, writer um, on different sites, including the podium game. So he'll be sort of yep. have an interesting perspective on things. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this show.
Yes, definitely. I, I uh, it, it's going to be. I mean, this is our time period. That if you, if you've listened to any other episodes, we're we're just fascinated by this stuff. I think we've 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 tried to shoehorn something about like this period in in, in at least. At least every episode we possibly – I mean, obviously, we can't do it during you know Pippin ones or that sort of stuff. But it's, it's a time period that's fascinating because – and I think we're doing something in a way because you, you hear about all the other areas. As you mentioned, the Kareem in the 80s, the bird, magic. You know, you hear about all this other stuff and you hear – but the 70s really – I mean, and, and I think um, uh, Curtis Harris touched on that too is one an era that we just really – don't as as basketball journalists and basketball fans and all that sort of stuff. We just don't really cover all that much, and and I'm not really sure why because it's a super fascinating era. I mean, yeah. Not only just the, I mean, you have the ABA, you have the NBA, you just have so much good stuff. And I think Kareem is one of one of the top guys in that era. So I'm definitely looking forward to kind of doing a, a career retrospective in that sense. Even if we can only do half the career, because God, if we ever do a full career of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it might It'd take four about and a half a five hours. hour show. So, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. we're we're not gonna, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, we have to just keep it to the seventies. Some, someday and down the line, maybe we'll do Kareem in the eighties, but Kareem in the seventies right. left to suffice for now. So and then Kareem in the nineties, right? right? That yeah, one, there you go. that one won't be too long. Yeah, <laughs> that one we can we can probably do in about twenty five. Sure, minutes, so. exactly. So, all right. So we're going to uh, take a little break and then we will uh, have a chat with Dakota so we'll be right back the Boston captain is the game's high scorer with 36 points 101 to 100 what a basketball game we've had Oscar Robertson throws to Kareem seven seconds Finkel with a big pressure shot. Nothing but net again. I can't believe the way these players are performing out here, Pat. Just absolutely fantastic. The Celtics will still have the last shot of the basketball game. All right, and we're back. And this now we're going to do a quick interview here with Dakota Schmidt. Dakota, you uh, write for way too many sites that I can't even possibly write, uh, edit video, and do so many other things for so many sites. I'm going to let you <laughs> list them all off here. But uh, you're a resident Bucks fan here, so we're happy to uh, to have you on. But yeah, you, you give your sites because God, there's like eight of them. So. All right. Um. Okay. <laughs> Lakers, Silver Screen and Roll, Jazz, Salt City Hoops, Hornets, Queen City Hoops. So I'm so trying to get used to that. And Bucks. Uh, Brew Hoop, add in, of course, the Podium Game, of course, the site that this podcast hosted on. And I also write Absolutely. a little baseball to Marlins baseball for uh, Fish Trips, even though I'm a Brewer fan. I don't know why I did that, but uh, <laughs> I guess I'm just weird that way. And I also have a dog that's chewing on something in the background. Oh, we're used to dogs, or at least Jason's used to my dog barking in the background as well. So he'll, I, he'll get over that. I believe I think. <laughs> mine, mine may have barked on this podcast as well. So I think we're. I don't know, think I've ever heard yours. Oh, I didn't know you had a dog. Yeah, I, I, so. Jack. He's uh, you know, he's he's happy to be here. He's a quiet one then. Yeah. I don't hear him on any respective podcast or any of these. There you go. So, dog. <laughs> so, um, so Dakota. Um, now that we got the dog talk out of the way, um. <laughs> You know, I, I, there's something I've I've always kind of been curious about I- as far as just um, how Bucks fans might feel about you know Kareem's uh, legacy with their team because you know of course he's so identified with um, the Lakers and you know the Showtime in the '80s in particular, but you know he had some of his greatest seasons and you know the the Bucks you know for four or five years were just you know an, an amazing team that won a championship and and had you know, some really great players and so forth. So, so how do you, you know, as a Bucks fan, you know, kind of feel about Kareem's legacy with the team? 
Um, I think just my pers- own perspective. I love what Creighton did for the team because without him, the Bucks wouldn't have their only championship in their entire in franchise history. So I love what he did for, for the team. Of course, in bringing the championship to uh, Milwaukee and of course to the state of Wisconsin. Um, you know, I don't think I really don't blame Kareem for what he did. Of course, what Kareem did moving out to Lakers was uh, a few years, a few uh, a decade or so before I was uh, a few decades before I was born. So I really don't have any perspective with that. But for what he did, uh, what he brought to the Bucks, of course, I think that it was Kareem or Will Cinder as he was known then. He came to the team and. Uh, in the franchise's second season, I believe. Uh, yeah, I believe That's so. Right, yeah. In the franchise's second season, so bringing in a Hall of Famer in their second season, of course, was huge. And of course, Kareem, one of the best players of all time, and he started with the Bucks. So that's that's something to really be happy about when you look back at the uh, Bucks team history. Certainly, and, and, and one thing that we're going to talk about a little bit in this podcast, obviously we're focusing on Kareem, but we're going to talk about the teams in general, those 70s Bucks teams. What sort of memories do you have of those teams? Obviously, there, there's there's a lot of names that you can throw around, different stuff, but overall, what are your, kind of your thoughts on those teams? I mean, you mentioned they brought the, you know, a title to Milwaukee, the only title in Milwaukee, but you know, how do people perceive them in Milwaukee? Are those teams, are they thought of fondly? Are they still kind of the, 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 the teams that everybody sort of talks about and the banners hang? I mean, what, what, what's sort of the perception of the teams? Well, all Bucks fans, when they watch the games, you know, every night or so, they get reminded of the team of those, you know, early 70s teams because John McLaughlin is the color commentator. Uh, <clears throat> John McLaughlin, both John McLaughlin and Tim McCrave are both the color commentators for the Bucks. So I guess fans get reminded of the team's uh, history. But I, you know, I don't know if a lot of fans, you know, remember the 70s teams, because, of course, it was uh, 40 years ago. But when I look at it, uh, you know, of course, you bring half Kareem, but also have, you know, Oscar kind of sort of in the prime maybe at the end of it. And you also have, a, in my opinion, an underrated player in that era in uh, Bob Bandridge. So when you look at – when I look at that team, I – like I, like what I said about uh, Kareem, I you know get happy and you know enjoy going to YouTube and looking at the highlights of those uh, early '70s teams. Uh, you know, is there anything you noticed like that's significantly different? I don't know how much video of Kareem that you've watched, but uh, between you know kind of the younger Kareem versus you know the older Kareem that might be more familiar to most people. Um, I think he was a lot more mobile. During the time, of course, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, a player when he's, you know, 23, 24, and, you know, during those, you know, early to mid-80s teams when he was, you know, in his mid to late 30s. But from the clips that I watched that you gave to me, Jason, I saw that he was a lot more mobile than what I have seen from him playing with Magic on those, you know, great 80s uh Laker team. So, of course, you know, Kareem in the 70s and Kareem in the 80s, both really, really great players. 
And, and you mentioned to me when we were kind of talking about this show and, and what we were going to talk about here, you mentioned to me that recently you did a, uh, a little bit of a look at like the 80s Bucks teams. And I think one of the questions we were kind of curious on is, is post-Cream. Obviously, it wasn't you know directly in the 80s. There was a little bit of time there. But how do you think that the Bucks sort of rebuilt? Because we saw that, you know, they lose this Hall of Fame player. You know, they add a bunch of players. We'll talk about the trade here in a little bit on the show. But it wasn't that long before they were actually a pretty – decent team again how well do you think they rebuilt in the post um you know the post cream era it took them it took them a while um i think what cream was traded in 73 75 75 75 yeah. excuse me and uh and the, it took the bucks teams until you know 80 so i guess five years before they were you know back to being a championship you know contending team and you know i think the i think the team did a great job of course uh, a few seasons after kareem uh left milwaukee they hired you know don nelson who you know gary nets you know late 70s to mid 80s times with the bucks you know he really brought a new kind of off both offense and defensive schemes uh to the bucks organization Definitely. And um, uh, anything else that you can think of, you know, just kind of talking about, you know, Kareem or the or the team or anything else that like stands out to you as, um, you know, something you want to talk about? Uh, not really, but I was uh, I was watching, you know, some of those uh, clips that you, you know, gave me in preparation of the show. And I was watching me, I think it was 71. I think it was the year. After the Bucks, uh, the players after the Bucks won title in their in their uh, series against Boston. Uh, you mean the? I think I think you mean the seventy four series against Boston. Okay, the seventy four series against Boston. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and you know during that time it was a few years after after of course they won the title, but you could still see that chemistry and how they how they clicked. It really. You know, the 73-74 team really didn't look much different than the 70-71 uh, team that won the title. So even though, you know, the team, you know, didn't get back to winning the finals, they still had that, you know, team chemistry throughout uh, Kareem's or Will Sanders' uh, time with Milwaukee. Absolutely. And, and, and real quickly before we kind of get out of here, you, you... Thoughts on some of the other guys. You mentioned uh, Dandridge was a guy that you thought was was underrated in, in a lot of ways, and McLaughlin, who you mentioned, you, you know, we hear all the time on on the Bucks broadcast or whatever. What are your, kind of your maybe quickly your thoughts on on a few of those guys? I mean, obviously Oscar Dandridge, uh, McLaughlin, a few of the other guys on those teams. What were kind of your thoughts on them? Maybe in a sentence or two of each one. Um, efficiency, especially when it comes. You know, to score, and of course, uh, during the 70, 71 season, the Bucks were the best, you know, offensive team in the in the league. And those, you know, Kareem, Robertson, Dandridge, McLaughlin, even somebody like Greg Smith or uh, Bob Boozer were extremely efficient scorers. Um, you know, Dandridge shot fifty percent. Of course, Kareem shot around fifty-seven percent. So. Again, like I've been saying, their offense during the you know early seventy, early to mid seventies were extremely effective and efficient. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, um, Dakota, uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us in the program and uh, giving us some uh, some insight. We uh, definitely appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back in a few moments to talk about the uh, early life of uh, Lou Alcindor. At Atari, our game cartridges undergo grueling tests. We put Kareem Abdul-Jabbar up against Atari Basketball. Oh, man, what a move. We let Mario Andretti test drive Atari Night Driver. This game really cracked me up. And the great Pele himself tested Pele's championship soccer. What a gig, it beats me a game. At Atari, we take our game seriously, so you have more fun. How'd you do, Kareem? Glad I won't face Atari in the playoffs. No other video game company stacked up to Atari. And we're back to uh, talk about the uh, early life and uh, high school and college career of uh, Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr., who was uh, was born in New York City, uh, grew up in uh, Manhattan, was known as Lou Alcindor uh, for the first. Ferdinand, such a cooler name. Yeah, that was his dad. <laughs> Missed name. opportunity there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, obviously Junior. You know that would make sense. So, um, he was uh, raised Catholic um, and uh, grew up mostly, you know, just kind of a diverse ethnic groups. Was mm-hmm. although usually the only um, black kid in his class. Um, which is something that he didn't really like even think about until he like saw a picture of his class and he realized like, Oh yeah, I'm really tall and black. You know? <laughs> right. um, I stand out a lot. Yeah, I did not even um, notice, yeah. He uh, attended power Memorial high school. Um, and which is also a great name for that, high that's school. That's true. It doesn't, that's, it doesn't exist anymore, I guess, but, um, and it wasn't really like, didn't really take basketball that seriously until like seventh or eighth grade and wasn't really any good at it until his freshman year of high school. And then over that summer, just practiced insanely and, and developed. And I, I think as freshman year, he was about six ten or six eleven already. Um, and then basically dominant from, um, sophomore year on, um, they won three straight New York city Catholic championships, had a 71 game winning streak <laughs> and a 79 and two overall record. That's pretty good. Huh? I, I bet it's not too bad. And then this is, of have, course, have you ever seen who their alums are? I have not star studded alum. Oh yeah. It's uh, you, so you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, obviously, obviously yeah. uh, Len Elmore, uh, Mario Ellie, Chris Mullen and Dick Favetta. There you go. That's, That's nice, and, and this is probably good crew. This is probably and a rush. Yeah, they <laughs> got a starting five and a rush. They, they ran from uh, thirty-one to eighty-four. Uh, the school did so, and and apparently the sixty-four high school basketball team was named the number one high school team of the century. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you get a seventy-one game winning streak. You, uh, yeah, yeah. And this is, of course, you know, kind of during probably the height of um, when uh, you know New York City uh, basketball of you know of, of it being like the um, of kind of being the mecca of sure. like developing basketball talent. Um, have you ever seen the uh, the on the shoulders of giants uh, podcast or uh, not uh, uh, documentary? I have not actually. It's a good one. I think I, I think it, it used to be on uh, Netflix. Uh, it was about it was about this era of New York I, basketball, I, I, and, and Cream is in it. I think he presented. I think he was the executive I think he producer. It, on it. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the things he did. And um, uh, yeah, I'll have to check it out. I believe you're right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's good. On Netflix. Yeah. Um, and uh, then he moved on to UCLA, which of course was being coached by John Wooden. When he was this was during a time when freshmen didn't play college basketball, so which is just amazing to think about. Um, 
and uh, so he he played three years there. They won the uh, title all three years. He was the most outstanding player in the in the tournaments all four years, and um, he was player of the year sixty seven and sixty nine. I guess not sixty eight. That was the year that. Um, it was the first nationally televised college basketball game of all time. Um, and uh, USALA had a, um, I, I think it was a 47 game winning streak going on in, into that game. Houston mm-hmm. was also undefeated um, or, or was at least a, a powerhouse that year. They played in the Astrodome and, and Lou had, uh, had it like an eye injury a week before. So he went into the game injured. Houston broke the winning streak uh, at 47 games, but then UCLA would end up winning the uh, rematch in the NCAA semifinal beating Houston by like 40 points. So, um, and then it was when Elvin Hayes was, um, you know, a top college player as well sure. at Houston. So, so I, I, the point there of, of course, is that that was like a, um, this is a sort of a dawning of an age of basketball, you know, not just college basketball, but eventually pro basketball becoming, you know, real nationally televised sports, you know, becoming, um, you know, a, a powerful sports, sports that, you know, are uh, become part of the conversation of the country as they are, of course, today. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely a dominant uh, beginning to his career. And then yeah. it would, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, can you imagine like just, just, you, you just dominate high school. I mean, just no, like almost no competition for the most part. I mean, it's not even like, you know, we're talking about these high school and it's just like pure domination of these, these two leagues. And like, uh, I, I know you put a note in our show notes as well, that his freshman team beat the number one UCLA team. Like it was like this guy's sitting there. He couldn't even play. And he was already dominant. Like the guy just never lost. Like, how does that feel? Like, I don't even, I can't even comprehend how that feels. Yeah, but exactly. I'm also I, I mean, know, they, not Kareem. They outlawed the dunk because of him. <laughs> I mean, that's right. I like mean, that's, you know, that's a, something. You stop you. right there. Yeah, um, because it was just so easy for him to dunk. And, you know, I think Oscar Robertson kind of credited that to being like, okay, well, Kareem had to, you know, use some of the tools in his arsenal because he couldn't dunk. You know, um, he, he'd already been doing the sky hook when he was in high school. But, you know, that became a, you know, even stronger tool for him. Um you know, he'd have to have better touch around the basket and um, so on and so forth because, you know, they, they took that away. So that's, you know, I guess a blessing in disguise. Uh, yeah. It, what's cool is when you watch video uh, of, you know, Kareem playing it, it, it you're, you are taken aback by how good he is at so many other things besides just being a big dunker or whatever. When, when you see him running the floor, you see the shot, you see, you know, as you mentioned, the sky hook or whatever. In a way, it almost, <laughs> I think it almost made him a lot better. I mean, because he wouldn't have been as, you know, multi- faceted if, if he just was able to dunk every single time. I really do believe that. I mean, obviously, you know, the skyhook was there, but you see a lot of, you know, 15 jumpers and, you know, almost like a, a modern we see now, like the stretch fours or whatever. I mean, he wasn't taking threes, but he, he had decent range, more decent than you would kind of assume from a guy as dominant as him. Right. And he could handle the ball, too. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he could dribble. I mean, he just flew all over the court. I mean, you know, you, you kind of you think of like somebody like Anthony Davis today who was just this, you know, big player with all these limbs and all this athletic ability and just, you know, can just do all these crazy things from out of nowhere and is just has all these multiversal things. And we think of him as like a completely new type of player. Well, you know, Kareem was that of the time, you know, I mean, they're not the yes. same player, but I mean, he was just like, um, I mean, he was being compared. He was like basically like, 
a hybrid of like Russell and Chamberlain. I mean, he was like, he could run the floor like Russell and, and, and could defend, but he was also, you know, he had the offensive skills of Chamberlain and could go like all around, you know, instead of just standing in one spot, which Chamberlain tended to do, especially later in his career, he could, you know, kind of move all over, you know? So it's, you know, just kind of this incredible thing. Um, also, during that time, it's kind of like a political and social awakening for him. He's obviously in the mid to late 60s, and that's a time, you know, where that's, um, you know, in Berkeley, the UCL campus is at the epicenter of a lot of the student protests of Vietnam. He boycotts the 1968 Olympics because of uh, unequal treatment for African-Americans. That was the same Olympics that where they um, – some of the Olympians did the, uh, you know, back – Black Power slogan yes. uh, with the raised fist when um, after winning the gold medal. Um, so just a you know very divisive time, but he's awakened in that. He also um, he converts from Catholicism to Islam. Um, meets a uh, you know spiritual mentor that will you know will be very. Um, uh, very serious for Kareem in in the uh, 70s as he changes his name and becomes more vocal, more active in that. And also it's sort of something that leads him, sort of consumes him, leads him to sort of become more isolated and um, more withdrawn from people, which will affect the perception that people have of him and the way he feels about other people. There's a lot, some interesting things there that I wouldn't normally get into such a detailed conversation about someone's religion but i for him i i think it's important it's very important yeah because no, yeah is. and you know he other than muhammad ali he's the mo you know the most famous athlete to um convert to to, to be to be a muslim you know mm-hmm. and it, it, it should be noted that um you know ali was part of the nation of islam uh um you know, which was kind of a, a splinter group that was kind of famous because of the associate with Malcolm X and so forth, where um, Alcindor was just, you know, more of like a mainstream Islamic group. They were sort of a, like, you know, um, Islam, much like um, Christianity, has a lot of different, um, uh, a lot of different uh, denominations. Um, yeah, a, yeah. So you, you just, I don't want people to equate them as the same thing because they are very different. That will right. It's a, yeah. be, be, that will be made clear as we go through some of the events of Kareem's life. But yeah. just want to kind of get into that. So, um, so yeah, after the three championships, um, he leaves UCLA. There is he has the choice between the NBA and the ABA. Um, the ABA is definitely willing to kind of um, <laughs> uh, ensure that he will be able to play with the New York Nets if he decides to leave the. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if the net. I don't know if the Nets necessarily had the first pick or if they were just willing to be like, eh, yeah, you can play with the Nets. It's fine. We're willing to do it. Where we do you want to go? Because that, that was, that, that was like, like the yeah. third year for the ABA, I think, or maybe the right. fourth season for the ABA. Right when and, and getting him would have obviously been a huge coup. Um, and basically, you know, he and his advisors come up with a plan where like, okay, we'll each team gets one offer to, you know, but by this time they'd done the coin flip in, um, uh, between the Suns and the bucks who, who had the same record, um, the year before the bucks won that, um, coin flip to get the first pick. Um, and so at this point he says to the bucks and that's okay. We'll only accept one offer from each team. Uh, there's an article sort of describing it where, um, and, and Kareem Tosa talks about it in his, um, in his, his first book, um, where, um, you know, he kind of talks about like the, you know, the, the bucks and the NBA make a good offer and then the nets, 
make you know, kind of a surprise and the ABA makes surprisingly disappointing offer. And then eventually like the Nets call back. It's like, no, 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 this, that wasn't our bid. This is our bid. And it's higher <laughs> than the NBA's bid. But at that time he's, he's like, well, I don't want to go back on my word. I feel like I'd be a hypocrite for doing that. So it's too late there. There's thing. And then there's another story that I, I think is both in Bill Simmons's book and is in the uh, Terry Pluto ABA book. Yeah, it's in both. Yeah, yeah. so you, you you talk about that one. Yeah, so so and and most people know if you've read both those books, you probably know it's one of the most endearing stories that that I come, especially in uh, in in Loose Balls, the Terry Pluto's book about. Um, so they went all out. The ABA had this big idea of we're going to have George Mikan, who was the commissioner at the time. He's going to show up there, and he has this quote mythical one million dollar check, and that was the the big offer here. Here's this check. We got him. You know, Kareem's coming to the ABA, or Lou Alcindor's coming to the ABA. The, the the story and I and I don't do have we ever confirmed like I, there, it's just kind of like a, a wives tale I don't know yeah exactly I mean I feel like the story I've read it slightly differently in different <laughs> places so I I don't know yeah I it, 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 you know, maybe it's not. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. But it's a good I'm going to go with it's true. I mean, that, that's the the ABA. Like pretty much, if it's as ridiculous as possible, it's probably true because it's the ABA. Like, like only the things where you're like that can't be real, and it's like ah, I don't know. It's the like, and, and the ABA is one of those weird ones too. It's almost like the Negro Leagues in that sense, where like stories get passed down, and because they get passed down so many times, they just kind of become you know true because so many people have just sort of said it, and and, and guys say it. So it's whatever. So essentially, George Mikan has this one million dollar check. Apparently, he just never gives it <laughs> to Wilson or never talks about it. Um, it stays in his there's always, yeah. It stays in his pocket. There's a there's story. I mean, Bill Simmons writes he either got too nervous or forgot or there, there's like and, and Pluto just mentions Pluto just kind of just says like Mike is just an idiot and just completely forgot. And then like when he was done, just was like, oh, crap, I forgot to give him the check. I don't really believe that George Micah could be that dumb to to do that. I mean, that was the sole purpose of being there. But it's it's a fun story nonetheless. So essentially that the ABA probably could have gotten him. If George Mikan had gotten a check out of his pocket, which just stayed in his pocket for some reason, it was in his it was coat pocket, correct? Yeah, yeah, and as I said, Mike, like his, his suit jacket or something like. My, now, Mikan's not even mentioned in Kareem's book, so yeah, that's, that's a like that's a big deal. Yeah, like, like it's only like Pluto mentions it a lot. Simmons probably grabs it from Pluto, but I, I wonder where Pluto sort of got it from because you feel like Kareem would make a bigger deal out of that, or Mikan would. I mean, not many people. I mean, there's only been a few people that have sort of talked about it, but. So it's 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 a great story nonetheless. Yeah. I hope it's true because right. it's just so perfect. Yeah. Like it's so ABA that they would be like, "Oh shit, <laughs> like we forgot to give him the check." Right. Like, yeah. Like that that's just perfect for the ABA. It's just a microcosm of 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 that league, but yeah, so Cream could have been an ABA, but George Mikan forgot the check, so. And you know, we wondered kind of what like we got a question on Twitter kind of wondering like, okay, what would have happened if, you know, the Suns had gotten the coin flip? And you know, you kind of look at the Suns in um in 1970, they were, you know, they had Gail Goodrich, who was still pretty young. Um, yes. They had, they, they actually got Connie Hawkins that year, who was 27, you know, who had been barred from the uh, NBA because of a gambling scandal uh, early on in his career. Um, you know, they had Dick Van Arsdale, they had Paul Silas. So they had, definitely had some talent. Um, and then the, the year afterward, the, the year, um, you know, they would be 48 and 34. So they were, you know, they were definitely a, a team that was on the rise even without Kareem. So you, we would imagine as it's hard to know, you know, like if financially they'd have been able to get Hawkins, if they didn't get, um, if they didn't get Kareem, but, um, sure. but still, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's sort of an interesting, what if, of course, because they were so close and there's this, um, uh, in one of, you know, in one of the many video clips you watch, you see like a, um, 
Jerry Colangelo on the phone for a young Jerry Colangelo, of course, you know, on the phone and then getting the news that the Bucks win the coin flip. And you just the, the look on his face of just like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, there's so much luck that, of course, goes into so many choices that, you know, um, that lead to whether you're going to be a championship team or merely a good team. And this is, a, you know, one of the biggest ones. I mean, you know, uh, one of the greatest players ever uh, doesn't go to your team and it just changes your fortunes forever. I mean, the Suns actually, you know, they, they had a pretty decent run here and there in the 70s, including a finals appearance. But um, obviously it would have been very different if they'd have had, um, you know, Kareem there. So. It's funny. I, I, I was reading an article, and I don't know if I, uh, I linked it here or in our kind of a show notes here, but I read an article uh, not too long ago that, that talks about Colangelo and the coin flip, and he just like he beat himself up for years because he called heads and it was tails or whatever, and he's just like, oh, I should have known it was tail. Like it's just like he like he, and this is in like 2009 that they still they they wrote it, and he was still just like ah, you know. Yeah. Even to this day, I just wish I had said tails or whatever, you know, because it, it I mean, that would have been a franchise changing thing. Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, because A, it's Kareem, but then B, you look at that team and you look at the talent of that team. And, and, and you know, you kind of brought it up here and I'm glad you brought up that point is I never really looked at the team of everybody on that team is like 25, 26, 27. And they're, they're a decent team. I mean, you even have like a, a Paul Silas when he's, you know, 25. You have, you know, as you mentioned, Gail Goodrich, who's who's still super young. Connie Hawkins, who's still super young. I mean, so many, you know, good young talent. And we're talking about Hall of Famer level talents in their early I mean you can only imagine yeah. adding Kareem to that either, team I mean, just yeah prime. either just before their prime or right in their prime yeah right, and they, right. Um, you know they get Cotton Fitzsimmons the next year and um, <clears throat> you know uh, they you know then they're they're a good team so um, so yeah I you know they're of course what if that's always a that's yeah and, and I mean game. they still even won 50 game um if, you know, they were around, they were hovered around that sort of 50 game period through most of the early 70s, too. Right, so you exactly. think, you know, <laughs> it's not too it's not too hard to add Kareem and, and say, ah, you might get a few extra. Yeah, wins you with might, you know, it's possible. With Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, as your center. But, you know, <laughs> a few more, it's, it's maybe possible. a few, one or two. It's possible, you know. yes. So, so um, he actually plays uh, games finally for the Bucks, and uh, they are a uh, young, exciting team. And... Uh, uh, you know, I, I think one point that should be kind of made here in a lot of these SI articles, there's talk of like the idea of basketball as the game of the 70s. And, you know, definitely Alcindor is like the guy who's supposed to carry this game into the 70s, carry this, you know, decade. He's the, he's the next great player. I mean, you know, it's kind of some of the same hype that LeBron had when he came, you know, into the league or or what have you. I mean, as you know, um, Maybe Shaq, too. You know, just some of these guys who are just, like, absolutely, like, going to be these transcendent players. I mean, Jordan, like, I mean, people thought he would be really great, but I don't. he didn't necessarily have, like, this expectation when he came in. It just took a few, it took a couple of years before people realized, right. like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah, he wasn't going to be a cultural transformation like some of these other dudes. Right, exactly. Were, so, yeah. I mean, so um, it's just interesting to go in with that pressure already, just being so big and so high. But he met it. I mean, um and as Larry Costello, who was the Bucks coach, you know, said, like, he's he's ahead of any rookie I ever saw. I played with Chamberlain, and when he wanted to, he could do everything. Shoot, pass off, play defense, rebound, anything you wanted. But most of the time, he was stationary. Russell was a great player, but he was never really a good shot. This kid is a combination. So um, and that's after his first exhibition game. Um, <laughs> so in the 69-70 uh, season, they they finish with 56 wins. They fall in the second round to the Knicks, but they're you know an up and coming team. As we mentioned, the franchise. Only, this is only this the franchise's second season. 
Um, they had four rookies and four second-year players on that team. You know, the, basically the core players that season are John McLaughlin, um, uh, Bob Dandrich, and then also Flynn Robinson and Greg Smith, uh, neither of whom who would stay all that long, while McLaughlin and Dandrich were there for, you know, the duration of Kareem's career and even, you know, a bit after – or a career with the Bucks and even afterwards. So um, uh, that was funny. You look at the record of that team too and you sort of sense that that – it was a young team, but that they sort of got together. I mean, if you look at the kind of, they, they're at one point, I'm um, looking here, December 10th, they were 16 and 13. So you kind of get an idea of, yeah, they're getting there. And then they just reel off like the, the last not half of the season, you know, they lose only another 10 games or whatever. So you can kind of sense and see what leads into the, you know, the future years here is that it's sort of a weird team. You know, Kareem's kind of getting his, his, his feet wet here. It's, it's still, and then they kind of get it and they don't really look back for a while. Yeah. I mean, the next year they are, um, they're 66 and, uh, 16. Uh, they, um, they win the NBA title, uh, set the a NBA record at the time with a 20 game win streak, basically one of the most uh, dominant regular season and, uh, playoff teams ever. Um, we should also talk about it a little bit before this, though. Uh, one part I just skipped over was uh, there's a good, another good essay article, kind of talking about like you know, just far as the stardom and its impact. Um, with uh, with six games to go in the regular season, um, the gate receipts were more than twice the amount for the entire previous season. They were 1.2 million, <laughs> and uh, as teammate describes him as he may be the first of the seven foot backcourt men. He can dribble and make moves that no big man ever saw before. Um, he can bring the ball down and handle it and give you fakes and no one in his size could ever do that. And he talks about learning from like a guys uh, like Nate Thurman, who's the guy who gave him sort of some trouble when he played uh, and Chamberlain who sat out for most of the season, but they played a bit in the exhibition. Um, and then also from watching Russell, it, it is sort of like one of those things that it would have been, it just, if Russell just stuck around one season more, you know, and then you would have been able to see him and Kareem play, yeah. you know, that would, that just kind of would have been, that'd just be a cool thing to have video of. You can only imagine it and maybe that's for the better, but still it's just like one, like, like, Oh, you know, that would just would have been kind of a nice um, extra thing. Sure. And, and, and watching these videos, I mean, we've been talking about a lot about his dribble, you know, that's not you know something that you, you initially think of. But I mean, you watch some of these videos and, and one of the ones on YouTube that I saw, you see him get a rebound and it's just so weird. And, and as you mentioned, you know, we sort of assume these days it's like, oh, Anthony Davis can get a rebound and go down the floor or whatever. He's so unique or whatever. And then you see Wilt just or not Wilt, uh, Kareem, rather, he, he gets a rebound and just goes down the floor and he's beating guys to the floor. And it's just like, geez, like the guy's like, you know, seven, whatever he is, seven foot to seven three whatever you want to say and he's just like there's guys like trying to strip the ball from him and he's just beating them all down he just goes and dunks it and it's just like wow <laughs> you know especially in that era uh, in that time where you just you, you don't see guys that big doing what he did it's just it, it's fascinating absolutely so they um they end up trading for oscar robertson before the 71 season they also add bob boozer and lucius allen who played with kareem at ucla so those three guys plus alcinder mclaughlin smith and dandridge are basically their core players um for that season as we mentioned one of the dominant regular seasons of um all time and playoffs they um ended up uh, sweeping in the uh, the finals of the uh, Baltimore Bulls, who were kind of overmatched um, that year. They only lost um, two games otherwise to the Warriors and the uh, Lakers, and that was, of course, a... Um, that was the that was Will Chamberlain, uh, Lakers, also still Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, mm -hmm. um, you know, who had been to the finals the year before, 
and um, you know were one of the great teams of the late '60s and early '70s, even though they had yet to win a championship. Um, so you know, very impressive. They were they were hoping to have a uh, rematch against the uh, Knicks because this was their this was the first year the Bucks were out west. The in Kareem's first season, they were in the East. Um, so in, instead of playing the Knicks in the in you know earlier in the playoffs, the only chance to play the Knicks was the um, was the finals. But the uh, Bullets managed to uh, pull off an upset, but sort of exhausted themselves in that series. Uh, the The Bullets had a uh, you know an injury to one of their their key players, but um, uh, it was a Gus Johnson, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know they were led by you know Wes Wes Unseld, Earl Monroe as well, uh, Jack Marin. Um, so they you know they had a good team, but were not. Um, but uh, you know just couldn't quite meet uh, you know like one of the most dominant teams of all time. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at at, at uh, Kareem's stats, you know, in in that series, and they're just ridiculous. I mean, per game in the in the NBA Finals, twenty seven points, eighteen rebounds, and and you know, nearly three assists. So so not bad. <laughs> pretty pretty good. He, he he shot a measly sixty percent from the yeah, field, though. So right. It, he needs to uh, he needs to work on that. But other than that, he was he was pretty good. Uh, so absolutely. another thing too that we didn't uh, talk about. You know, you know, you look at uh, you know a guy like Wilt, who you know his Achilles heel was always the free throw shooting. Well, with Kareem, I mean, in the early years he had a little bit of struggles, but I mean, in this season, you know, he shoots you know, or in the, in the finals rather, he shoots seventy six percent from the free throw line. It just never was that big of an issue for him. I mean, he, he sort of got it from the beginning and, and, and you look at him shoot free throws too in, in old videos and it's very smooth and fluid and it, it's obvious that's not the Achilles heel of this guy. Like it was, you know, so much for Wilt and, you know, was for, for, you know, even big men, you know, today, you know, the Andre Drummond's and the Dwight Howard's of the world, the Andre Jordan's, um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, obviously, but yeah, for him, not, not really an issue. So. Yes. Um, so they were the second team to ever uh, sweep the finals. Uh, Boston did in 59. Um, and uh, there's a sort of an interesting um, SI article from uh, that series talking about like the fact that uh, Oscar Robertson and Lou Cinder are so, you know, um, as players and personalities, they're very much like they're very businesslike. They attack their uh, game with precision and coolness, just sort of like it. They're, you know, they kind of have a similar mentality when they uh, play. Also, kind of talking about um, uh, Larry Costello, how they, um, you know, they practice really hard. They're, I'll, I'll read the quote the buck practices are the hardest, most precisely mapped out in the league, which more like much more like college workouts than those run by other professional teams. He also mentions that they have a, uh, a system. They're one of few um, coaches with a full-time assistant coach who only has minor scouting responsibilities because, um, you know, basically they, um, you know, uh, I mean, you know, assistant coaches are still sort of a new idea in the NBA, which is, yeah. you know, kind of amazing. Um, and uh, they were the, uh, Apparently, the Bucks were the first team to uh, average over 50% in shooting percentage for a season. Um, and, uh, you know, they rated, um, uh, you know, getting shots close to the basket was a very important uh, part of uh, what they did. Absolutely. And they also rank uh, number one. They have a simple rating system. Uh, Basketball Reference has that. And they're, they're the number one team of all time uh, at 11.91. Uh, they're ahead of the 95-96 Bulls and the 71-72 Lakers. And that, if you're not aware, it, it, it takes into account uh, the point differential and strength of schedule. And, and they're, you can really look, if you go back and look at that season and look at like the game logs or whatever, I mean, the, the point differential is ridiculous. I mean, that team was just like... 
And nobody was was t- close to them. I mean, they, they lost games here and there, but the ones they won were just like dominant, dominant wins. Yeah. Um, so, um, so the day after they won the championship, May first, nineteen seventy one, he uh, publicly announced uh, uh, changing his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and. Um, and I guess this is kind of a good time to talk about um, his faith a little bit more. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because the uh, the faith is – it's such a major focus of his first book written in 83. Um, and just he talks about, you know, his devotion to Islam, um, you know, trying to learn more about it, um, studying Islam at Harvard one summer, making pilgrimages to the Middle East and like reading like original texts of the Quran and basically something that very much dominated his life and also was sort of a little bit of a factor in the fact that he just sort of isolated himself from the rest of the world because, of course, he's in a city and in a, in a country where, you know, um, Muslims are very much a, a minority and, you know, somewhat, you know, not well understood by a lot of people. Um, but it, there is not much mention of it in his second book, which was written in 89, which is basically like a diary of the um, his last season, but also does, you know, c- kind of go back into, uh, you know, some things in the past and, you know, some major, some highlights of his career, some things that were, that were and weren't talked about in the first book. And um, so, I mean, I, I do think that, that kind of part of that, you know, it, it sort of, he writes about at the end of his first book where he um, just sort of talks about how um, his faith had kind of left, kind of kept him or just his feelings about it had kind of let led him to not live in the world. And he felt like mm-hmm. it was time for him to be able to kind of balance both things, to be able to live in the world and also be able to um, to – you know, and and also to you know to keep his faith. So that's just sort of something that he kind of wrestled with throughout, you know, most of the seventies. And there's some kind of some traumatic things that happen uh, in, in his life that have some effect on that. We'll, that we'll kind of go through a little bit later. But just kind of wanted to talk about you know that um, the importance of that. And of course, like we mentioned before, other than Muhammad Ali, he's the most famous um, player in, in a sport to um, to do this. And you know, obviously. Um, it was something that, um, you know, um, made him different and made him stand out, you know, even yeah. more than he already did. And I think in a lot of ways it does still sort of, you know, his legacy is still in a lot of ways tied to that as long as, you know, in, in terms of how he's perceived by, you know, the media at that point and how he's sort of perceived in, in, in history. So I think it is, I think it is a very important thing because it's not something that's just, you know, he did it and everybody just kind of said, oh, that's cool, whatever, you know, do whatever you want. It, it, it wasn't, yeah, I mean, it, it was, was very, there was controversy, you know, there was a lot. I mean, it wasn't just, oh, well, Kareem's, you know, he's Muslim. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Just keep on doing what you do. Like, you know, it was, it was very jarring yeah. for a lot of I things. I mean, he's so. asked at a at a point early on where, oh, well, is, you know, are you, you change your name is it is it are you gonna are people gonna call you that and he's like i expect you to it's my name <laughs> and then there's like another one like well like you know in the media guide you know he's like well yes it's my name to. i changed my name yeah. damn it. well the, there is one player um one of the because there's already had been a few that had changed their name at this point he, he wasn't the first but he was definitely by far the biggest name but uh, one went by, you know, his old name professionally and went by a different name personally. So it, I guess there were different ways of handling that. But, you know, um, but for the most part, obviously, if you change your name, you expect 
people do abide by it. So, um, but anyway, um, there the um, seventy one seventy two season, and um, they are sixty three and nineteen. Um, they're not quite as good, but there's you know they have a ten seventy SRS, which is among the top ten or so in NBA history, I believe. Um, you know, so it's well up there and still being among the uh, greatest teams. But it's interesting. They had a lot of roster turnover. Um, and one player that they um, that they ended up trading, who was a pretty important player in the uh, championship season, was Greg Smith, who's also very close to um, uh, was very close to Kareem, uh, you know, one of his best friends on the team. And he Kareem wrote in his book that he just felt like, you know, that was really disruptive to um, to their chemistry, you know, um, that uh, and it kind of they traded him for Curtis Perry, who was. I guess nominally they went for they were looking for a power forward and Greg Smith was a little bit undersized for that position. But he was but he was like, yeah, but he really he rebounded like heck. You know, it was just kind of like one of those things that sort of starts, you know, the um, like, OK, you know, there's a few divisions here, you know, kind of th- kind of things going on, sure. you know. But, you know, um, they um, now, you know, they're 63 and 19, but. The um, they end up losing in the Western Conference Finals to the 69 and 13 Lakers, who of course are you know at that time had the you know greatest regular season record of all time, um, and you know one of the greatest single season teams of all time. That was the year that um, that Bill Sharman took over for the Lakers, and Jerry Wet kind of installed a system for them for the first time. Um, made Jerry. West and more of a point guard. They got Gail Goodrich back and he filled in at shooting guard, you know, so they were just like a, you know, all the pieces kind of fell in. Everyone kind of knew their role and they were, you know, just uh, at least for that season better than the Bucks. But the Bucks did end up winning their uh, ending their 33 game winning streak. And it's kind of a fa- I don't know how much of you were able to kind of watch that game, but it was sort of a fascinating game to watch. Yeah, it was. No, I, I watched uh, I, not as much as I would have liked. I'm actually going to go back after this and, and, and watch the rest of it. But no, I, I watched little bits and pieces and little clips. But it's a very, very interesting game. And you could tell that like from the players' demeanors and everything. I mean, you watch a lot of older and, and without context, it's kind of hard. But knowing the context of this game and knowing you know what was on the line, you could tell that everybody is really just amped up and the crowd's amped up. Like everybody, I mean, I, I can only imagine being there live and watching that. You know, it, it had to be fascinating. Yeah, it's- I, I remember something similar. I mean, I went to a Bulls game when – um. Uh, the Miami Heat were on their. Uh, I forgot what they ended up. Uh, what are they? Twenty-seven. Yeah, I was at. I, I forgot exactly which one it was. The, the Bulls were at, and it was just like every possession was like, you know, Game Seven of the NBA Finals because that was, you know, in the regular season that was as close as you were going to get to like uh, a, a huge moment. Everybody wanted to knock them off or whatever. And I can't imagine this, especially when you have, you know, because the Bulls were just kind of, you know, they were what they were. Whereas you have, you know, a Korean. You just have these two Titans going up against one another. I, just, I can't imagine you know, how great it was to be there live. But no, you can tell from the video, it's, it's a fascinating game. Yeah. And, um, you, you basically, you know, there's seeing the, the battle between Wilton chamber, Wilton Kareem is fascinating. And also between Jerry West and Oscar Robertson is, is really fascinating. You know, there's some, there's some good play there. I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a fun game to watch, you know, um, they have a great contrast, those two teams, I mean, in terms of like matchups and that sort of stuff where you, you a lot of times you don't, uh, it's going to be hard pressed to have, you know, two of the best big men ever going up against each other. And then also two of the best guards, you know what I mean? Like it's very rare that, that a team will have two of those guys on there, you know, at a time. So the, the, the contrast is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
in uh, and in the playoffs, they they beat the Warriors again, but then they uh, and they meet the Lakers again, but they end up falling in uh, six games to the to the Lakers. But I mean, again, they're a sixty nine win team. It's kind of hard to um, you know it, it's it's sort of hard to to say. Well, you know, even though these Bucks are one of the you know another just basically two of the greatest uh, teams of all time, you know these individual teams in a season, you know, battling up against each other. It's hard to fault the second best team for falling in that playoff series. But, you know, so, um, so we move on to the, uh, the, well, I, one thing we want to mention is a couple of things from 72 is that that uh, draft, they, and they actually draft Julius Irving. They, yeah. they had the uh, draft rights to Dr. J. Um, <laughs> now that was, I believe, I believe he'd already played a season in the ABA. Um, yeah, he'd already played a season. He played with a season with the Virginia Squires. He was trying to get out of that contract, and he even actually played some practice and maybe even played some exhibition games with the Hawks with Pete Maravich. And there's um, stuff in Julius Irving's book. There's a, there's a um, excerpt of it on Deadspin that has more of the story. So, but, you know, he was challenged in court by the Squires and was even, you know, challenged by, of course, the Bucks who had his draft rights. So, um, so that's kind of a complex situation, but I just imagine like if they had been able to get Dr. J and Adam to that team, I mean, that basically like, there's your dynasty for the rest of the seventies. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, who knows if Kareem still makes that, I mean, Kareem made that choice for a lot of personal reasons. And, you know, um, although he did say that like later on, he said that one reason for it was that he was kind of frustrated with the direction of the team. So if they had Dr. Yeah. J, that's probably, you know, not going to be an issue now, you know, who knows how Dr. J's game evolves in that environment. I mean, I'm sure he's still awesome, but, um, you know, but is it the same, you know, does he have the same role? Is he able to kind of still do a lot of the same stuff? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it would have been fine, but there's still, of course, you know, you, you don't know how we, how things unfold in that situation, but still. It's, it's not totally fair just to extrapolate, you know, what Dr. J became and put that on the box. But, yeah, you'd have to imagine it at least be somewhat close to what we sort of got with him. Yeah, maybe, I mean, you know, maybe he's not scoring, you know, 30 plus a game. But, yeah, I mean, he certainly still just... boosts them in terms of athleticism. <clears throat> and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, with that talent, you make it work, you know. Sure. Certainly. Yes. He also makes his film debut in a fight scene <laughs> in the, the 1972 Bruce Lee film game of death uh did you did you watch this fight scene you know i did i i think i've seen it before but i did not re-watch it for the podcast i uh, um it's uh yeah it's it's interesting yeah. <laughs> he doesn't like i don't know why they had to use uh kareem in it though well i mean it just, just been anybody just for, I, mean, I guess just yeah, for fun just i guess for, you know yeah yeah i mean he they had met when um kareem was at ucla i believe bruce lee was his martial arts teacher so um so, you know, they had, they had that relationship and Kareem gets to be in the movie. So that's I wish Bruce Lee was my martial arts teacher. Yes, that would be nice. Yeah, he's pretty, <laughs> he's a pretty good teacher. He's yeah. a good guy to learn from, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know, I mean, not too bad. Um, so, so this is sort of, um, you know, so we move on to the uh, the 73 season. Uh, they, as their third consecutive 60, 60 plus win, well, they win 60 games, but, you know, more than 60 or more wins in a season. Um, they are still, uh, you know, amazing. Like every year in the last couple of years, they've been either first or second in offense and defense. This year, they slipped to fifth in de in offense. They're second in defense. So they're still really great, but they, there is a noticeable tiny slippage there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they end up, um, again, uh, meeting the uh, Warriors in the uh, playoffs for the third consecutive year. But this year, 
the warriors actually upset them. The warriors the are fighting berries. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they finally... They're only like 47 and 35. The, um, the warriors are, uh, they have Nate Thurman who, again, as we mentioned, always kind of gave Kareem trouble and a returning, um, Rick Barry and, and Kareem for whatever reason during this series, um, just did not play well. Um, shot way below his normal average, um, percentage wise. Um, I don't have the, it's not in this box score here. Let me, yeah, I got, I, the, yeah, it's in his, it's in his playoff. Yeah. Um, yeah, stats, but, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but he 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 definitely you know a noticeable uh, slippage um, in um, yeah his true shooting percentage was uh, you know four forty seven so Oof. yeah so yeah he, he only averaged yeah only averaged twenty two points per game or twenty two point eight points per game yeah. which is his, I mean for, was I mean good but PR was Korean, down. No. yeah well, <laughs> yeah for whatever reason just yeah that the for the most part he was great in the playoffs but that year he it was definitely a noticeable um slippage so i mean there's no reason that he should have you know one point per game more than than Oscar Robertson <laughs> you know right. what i mean i mean that, not that, that Oscar time. wasn't very good but right uh, yeah it's just, it's sort of a strange uh thing to um have happened when he out you know he uh, outscored uh, he had 30 points during the season Oscar 15 during the season so right yeah uh, and Oscar was that, 34 that's that's how you kind of assume the breakdown would go not 22 21 i mean that's yeah, very strange. Exactly. But. So, uh, which is weird because um, Rick Barry, like he, this happened like three or four times in his career where he took like a middling team that would win <laughs> like in the mid forties and would upset like a sixty plus win team in the playoffs. Like I feel like this happened it's like three or four times. You, when you hit your free throws, Jason, you uh, you go far. Helpful, right? yeah. <laughs> He's good at free throws. Uh, he is very good at free throws. I I, you, I feel like we've mentioned this a time or two. I don't know if we have, it's important. Yeah. How are you going to, how are you going to get the, I just realized how are you going to get the Hawks shoehorned into here? I, the 2000, 2005 Hawks. I don't know. I am very interested. I am just going to sit back and watch how, how you're going to try to shoot I, them. You in. know, I mean, I wasn't going to mention anything, I but mean, I, I wanted you to at least there know. Are, so there's you a know, challenge. Even though Kareem is most identified with, <laughs> um, you know, the hook shot with his sky hook, yeah. there are other players who had some pretty good hook shots, including Kevin Willis. Who played for the 2004 2005 uh, Hawks at, I believe, 42 years old at the same uh, age I was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, Kareem retired at. So. There you go. I just want to make sure because I, 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 you know, it's important. I'm glad that you gave me that segue. That was that was very <laughs> nicely, you know, that was a very nice pass, you know, that you know, that was a very nice assist for my slam dunk there. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I was very worried of how you we were gonna. I, I don't know if there's anybody. Uh, Kevin Wills probably. I mean, he, I'm sure he debuted in like 1976, so I'm sure, sure he could have fit him at some point there. But uh, yeah, it's all right. Um, and that year, Antoine, that year actually, top, the Bucks yeah, so. won 14 straight games to end the season to equal the Lakers' record. Uh, and the NBA wanted to do a tie-breaking game, but the uh, Players Association said no. So Milwaukee ended up uh, winning a coin flip uh, to get the uh, get the seed. And Milwaukee and their coins. Yes, they do well in the coin flips. But that, that sort of that would, of course, would be just awesome if they had been able to do a uh, that you know the. Oh, the one game playoff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have. Yeah. I mean, they both would have still made it, but it would have been for seeding, I guess. Yeah, right. 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 Yeah. I'm, I'm in favor of one more, uh, more like one game deciding a bunch of crap. I mean, I'm, I'm really not, but because <laughs> that happens out of baseball sort of been overrun by like, hey, let's have one game. But I think in the NBA, it's a little bit more fun because it's 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 less randomized, you know, in that sense where baseball, like, you know, you have a pitcher who's good or bad on, on any given day. But but basketball, you pretty much know. But I, then there's just so much. I think for seeding, it's fine. I think if it's like if you're if, to get into the playoffs, I wouldn't be in favor of it. But for but just to set a seed, that that's fine. You know, that, that's, I'll that's do it for the eight seed. Hey, the seventh, eighth seed. Yeah, screw it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. Do it. Have him, have him go die to get, even though nobody, I mean, I think they'd probably, <laughs> actually that game would probably be not very good. And that's, that's one problem with like, is, like some guys have that idea of, of, um, you know, Bill Simmons has mentioned that of having like the 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 closest to the playoffs get like you know the number one draft pick or whatever, but like nobody would ever want to make the playoffs then because yeah, it's really I mean making the eight seed is probably I'd probably rather just not make the playoffs yeah. than I don't the know the, seed. but the team I don't know the players I mean they get that playoff money it's not a whole lot they, of money yeah. but that, that, you know I like I feel like the motivations between the players and the teams are like different that's like, true yeah I yeah. don't think I think it's extremely rare if ever that a player is really gonna like go through a scheme in which um you know they're gonna Go sure, along sure. with that. So, um, so during the off season, uh, well, I, you know, I take that back. I think it was actually it was during the season. Um, it I, I'd have to check on the date on this, but it was um, there's a uh, a mass murder at a Washington D.C. home that was owned by Kareem, and it was um, basically uh, the family of a spiritual uh, mentor, uh, Hamas Abdul Khalis. And uh, and he met he had met Hamas um, during his time at UCLA when he converted and basically like here's a guy who like basically helped choose Kareem's wife like it was it was like two women who had both converted to Islam because Kareem wanted them to and he one that he loved more than the other who he had more of a friendship with and that basically he like allowed him to make this choice for him so that just kind of mm-hmm. shows the power that he had in his life he. Um, had um or kareem had bought this house and it was basically like a you know group home for uh, they were the hanafi muslims who were an orthodox orthodox islamic group it was a three-story building and um basically five children seven people including five children ranging in age from nine days to 11 years were murdered in the house you know, just obviously a horrific thing and Kareem himself was um you know surrounded by security for a while you know police and such trying to protect him because they thought that it was possible that um you know he would be targeted next and it, sure. it was believed that back black muslims were responsible for the slaughter there was a, a rivalry i don't know if that's the best term but between them and this you know this the hanafi group and um and basically yeah i mean kareem was the most celebrated american orthodox muslim and then he had a wife at the time and then a nine-month-old daughter as well there's a fear they could be targets and you know this is of course you know going on during this time and must have been weighing on him and very trying for him and he you know he, he talks about it a bit in his book and i had no idea about anything this and um Later, this happened in '77. But basically, yeah. his uh, Hamas and his group basically took a bunch of hostages in three Washington buildings, including, um, you know, they held um, 132 hostages for 38 hours, and there was uh, seven wounded. I think one journalist was killed by accidental gunfire during this thing. Um, it, he ends up go Hamas ends up going to jail, um, and there's just you know a, a whole lot of uh, you know craziness surrounding that, of course. And uh, you know, and Kareem talks about basically between the two incidences, his relationship with Hamas sort of deteriorates somewhat. I mean, it's definitely not as close. And by of course, at that point when this happens, um, I mean he he is supportive of 
not, not what he did, but is supportive of his mentor as far as just, you know, um, wanting to be there for him as a friend and so forth. But basically, they, after that, you know, they the, the ties are basically almost severed. Sure. At, at, and he's in jail until uh, until he dies in uh, 2003 uh, as well. Oh, I, remember. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And honestly, I you know, and I'm, you know, Kareem was my favorite player as a kid. And, you know, I've, I've been following, you know, the NBA pretty closely, but I had no idea about any of this. Like, I didn't either. No, I actually was reading a lot of, I actually probably read more about this uh, leading in than, than a lot of Kareem's basketball stuff because it's because, you know, I kind of know, you know, you know, a lot about Kareem. I had no idea about any of this and, and especially this 1977 siege. Uh, I, I knew nothing about it. It's fascinating. Uh, Marion Barry was actually a councilman at the time. He got hit with a bullet. Uh, the former, uh, the famous, yeah, the famed right, the mayor, Washington, D.C. Mayor. Yeah, mayor. Exactly. yeah, he actually, uh, so. uh, just above his heart, he got a shotgun pellet. And, and obviously he was able to survive. But yeah, it's it's a very fascinating thing. And then, and then when you look at the demands and, and just the, I just had no idea either about the, the the hatred between the two, you know, different, you know, denominations, the nation of Islam versus that. It's just very interesting stuff. I, I definitely recommend people uh, look it up. Uh, if you wanted to, the Hanafi siege is, is what you can find in 1977 if you want uh, more details about uh, this particular yeah. instance, but yeah, I, I did not know anything about this either. So, um, uh, so back to basketball. Um, <laughs> yeah, based, <laughs> on a lighter note, yes, uh, the uh, seventy-three and seventy-four season, they uh, are only fifty-nine and twenty-three. So they end that that streak of sixty-win seasons. But they're uh, first in offensive rating, second in defensive rating. Um, they run through the uh, Lakers and Bulls in the playoffs. They finally do not play the Warriors in the uh, playoffs. So they do play the Lakers again, and um, they uh, they they beat the, those teams pretty handily. But um, then uh, they fall to the uh, Celtics in uh, seven games. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kareem hits a big sky hook in game six, like, you know, in two over after two overtimes to win game six in Boston, but they, they fall in game seven. Now they do. Um, Lucius Allen is injured during the postseason, Um, so they, they kind of, their guard play is, um, uh, less because of that is one of the reasons why they, um, do. And it was kind of interesting because the, um, they, they kind of talk about uh, – there's an, another SI, great artist article, sort of comparing Kareem and Dave Cowens. And Cowens is sort of a little bit – you know, he's undersized, of course, compared to Kareem, but he can, um, you know, shoot a bit from the outside, forcing Kareem to, you know, go away from the paint and defend, you know, outside a little bit, but he doesn't want to stray too far because, of course, his ability to prevent, you know, other people from getting the paint is one reason why he's so valuable. So – but they talk about how, you know, they um, – these Celtics kind of play the old, like really fast paced Celtics um, game where other teams and not specifically the Bucks, but a lot of other teams, particularly the Knicks started kind of playing more conservative, walk the ball up the floor strategy. And, um, you know, um, that, that is one thing uh, real quick before we get sure. it, it. When you watch these 70s, you know, tapes and, and videos, you, you notice just how quick the game is and how, uh, you know, you watch today's basketball and you don't realize how much they value possessions and, and not wanting turnovers were in the 70s. Like, and, and it, it's really, you watch the 80s too and it's a lot of the same way when you watch like kind of the Showtime Lakers or whatever. It's really just about getting up the court as fast as humanly possible getting a shot up as quick. So we, we talk about, you know, how, how amazing it was to have, you know, the, 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 the Phoenix Suns or we talked about it on our Steve Nash podcast, how we sort of, he took the 
NBA out of the by going quick or whatever. And you watch the 70s and it's like the same thing. I mean, these dudes are just like flying, especially these Bucks teams. You just they're flying down the court and then taking an 18 footer and it's off and they're just running back down and just like throwing the ball anywhere. And like you watch it, it almost looks like a high school, like a current high school game the way they're doing it. I mean, they just they people fall into traps, they just start running and turnovers. And it's just funny to see sometimes, uh, you know, how 70s basketball was sort of played and how how much different it is these days and how more methodical about you know possessions and ball handling and 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 turnovers they are today than they were you know then but still fascinating to see the the, the difference between the two absolutely uh, two teams here and there's kind of an interesting note about the series is that um it says you know the bucks have won um 248 games in the last four years with a strictly ordinary supporting cast. Only the absent Allen, Lucius Allen, and forward Bob Dandridge are above average. Average being about all that can be said for Robertson since he turned 35. So that's kind of an interesting perception mm-hmm. of you know of the Bucks themselves. I mean, at this point, you know, John McLaughlin is toward the um, the end of his career. Um, you know, they still have Curtis Perry, who's only 25 and and is pretty good, but, um, but definitely, you know, if you look like in terms of, um, of, of PER, I mean, uh, basically, yeah, the, I mean, actually Oscar had only a 14.2 PER yeah. his last season. Um, so basically, yeah, I mean, Kareem, Lucius, Allen, Bob Danbridge and, um, Mickey Davis, who played about a thousand minutes as a 15.5 PER, you know, not the PER is perfect you know, description, but for shorthand, you know, John McLaughlin's is only 12, you know, um, and as far as heavy minutes guys, so Oscar, Curtis Perry and, and all them, you know, they're, they're below average in terms, in, in those terms. So, you know, I mean, there's at least some weight to, um, to, to what they're saying there, you know, yes. um, and, um, you know, they were definitely at, at this point, you know, they still had a SRS of uh, 7.61, which is still really great, um, but is not no, they're no longer historically great. You know, this is sort of the an odd team to, you know, of all the teams, the, the two teams before that didn't make the finals. This is sort of an odd team to have made it, even though they were still pretty good. And I, and I do believe they they had one. I don't know if they had the best record in the um double check whether they had the best record in the league or um yes they did have the best record in the league and, and another thing that's sort of interesting here is like the the previous couple of years there's a big split you know there's like these gaudy win totals in the bucks mostly responsible for that that lakers team obviously too and the celtics i believe the previous season had it were a 68 win team even though they didn't win the finals but um Starting this year and going through most of the rest of the 70s, like I don't – there are few if any 60-win teams. I think maybe Golden State had a 60-win um, team during that time, but there's almost none. But the the, the worst records you know, are like mid-20s. So there's, yeah. there's an extreme amount of parity <laughs> over these next few seasons, which – which is really interesting, and, and part of it, you know, um, I think it's amped up once they the ABA and the NBA merge, but it even happened before then, and it's hard to exactly know why. I mean, expansion has at least have something to do with it, um, but it, it's just, you know, um, this is the only time that I can really, you, you know, at, at least you know the study that I've done. Um, Emilia, I don't know if I've looked at it that far in detail, but as far as like, um, you know, uh, th- this is the only time that's really happened, at least since the very early days of the NBA. 
Yeah, more where you got that much, and it, it, it's kind of famous for that. And and we we've talked about it a little bit, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if anybody had done really extensive work on the, you know what sort of created paired. I mean, the easy answer would be yeah, probably expansion happened that way, and it just could have been the dispersal of talent. Sometimes it just sort of happens that way, that, even without true. yeah, without you know any real factors happening where you just have a few. I mean, it could be a lack of superstars. I mean, you could honestly say that could be it. I I don't know if that's necessarily it, but there could be that. There could just be you know superstars you know somehow just being on different teams it, it it's very interesting yeah it, it's I, i'd be very and, interested and to there's see a lot of, sort of big, and there's a lot of big playoff episodes in the decade as well and you know yeah and, that, and that's huge and, and you wonder if that sort of played into you know is, is that the kind of causal or is that you know it's, it's very interesting yeah I'd, li- I'd like to see someone do a little bit more work and do a little bit more statistical work on, on exactly why there was so much parody in that era but there could there's a number of different factors but yeah i don't know any one that's really stronger than the other yeah so so Oscar retires and there's sort of there's an article in the Milwaukee Journal from right before the season beginning where you ask, will Oscar be missed? Uh, Kareem says, well, you know, maybe not as much as people think because we'll have more flexibility and speed. They there's also a lot of hype about him playing Bill Walton for the first time. You know, Walton, of course, being the great UCLA star after Kareem and, you know, the first the, them finally playing in the pros. In fact, um, their first game exhibition game um <laughs> drew a sellout cloud crowd of 13,000 in Dayton, Ohio, of all places. <laughs> I don't know why they'd be play cuz usually like it's nowhere near any other teams. Right. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, obviously it's not on Green Bay. It's not Green Bay or yeah, it's not like it's not you know, you yeah, whatever or whatever teams whatever city is near Portland. Yeah, or even right. like okay, in California or yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, at it, Los Angeles, yeah, right? UCLA, it, at the UCLA's campus, it's just it's very strange. Yeah, yeah, right. So, um, but um, good for Dayton. Yeah, yeah. And this is the night before Kareem actually breaks his hand, um, where and he does that during an exhibition game with um, uh, during against the Celtics. Um, Don Nelson scratches his eyeball and he's had several already of times where his eye has been injured and then he punched the backboard post in frustration and, and broke his hand, broke his right hand. So, um, so yeah, it was definitely like a, um, not a good start to the season. No. And basically, yeah, they, they play terrible without cream. They start, they start one in 13. They end up being three and 13 once cream comes back, but they're not that much better with him. I mean, they're 35 and 31. They end up 38 and 44 on the season. Basically the, you know, the only good players left are Dandridge, you know, McLaughlin's okay, but as we mentioned already aging, and then they trade uh, Lucius Allen for uh, Jim Price to the Lakers, and Jim Price ends up being pretty good for them. He he's an All Star that season, but um, you know, really, other than that, you know, uh, they're you know just don't have a, a you know they're they're kind of young, but they just don't, for whatever reason you know they're just um, not that great. Kareem, um, you know the the totals are down a bit because he only plays sixty five. Um, games that season um the shooting percentage is down a bit too it's it's uh yeah 513 which is other than his final season is his career low wow yeah. uh, i mean it's not terrible but it's just he, you know he's still for kareem it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously you know, <laughs> context yeah, it's matters. second worst <laughs> right um you know and um 
So he he's still really good, but definitely it's a it's a down season for him. Um and um um yeah, I mean and then, you know, there's a SI article um where he ret- when he returns from his broken hand. Um and uh it, it makes note here where apparently Oscar was gonna come back, but the Bucks tried to rewrite his contract, basically wanted to take a no cut claws out of the contract so they could put him on the expansion list if there is one and then Robinson decided he said Robertson elected instead instead to expand to CBS as a color analyst so um, <laughs> and uh, and then they talk about you know he comes back with goggles and uh, like they're uh, they, they mention the goggles they're like um, shatterproof plexiglass um the first pair weren't wide enough and like i've seen a picture of them and they're like 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 they're black and then they have like these like big like circles and that like the classic ones that he ends up wearing for most of the rest of his career like <laughs> they're really big they almost look like, like scuba gear you know yeah they're very odd yeah yeah he, he uh he would have done well in in today's modern i mean the tech, the, you look at the goggles now and they're just so much better where his are just like that looks like they would like fog up the ones he had and i yeah. did that i was thinking i always feel like they did every every i always remember seeing him you know, kind of take them off and mess with them and, and and play with them and stuff but yeah that's uh <laughs> yeah <sighs> and there's sort of the goggles yeah and, and always i always loved it i mean are you are you a bigger non-goggle or goggle Kareem fan. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, they're both. We need to answer this now. We have to I don't know. I, I need. I no. need some time to ponder. Unacceptable. <laughs> right now. I'll give you an answer by the head. end of the show. Okay. Um, so, uh, a couple of the notes. Um, there's a story of Kareem uh, forgetting to pack his goggles, and like the, I, the one of the equipment, one of the trainers has to like go to his apartment, and they can't, and they're not, and. Um, and he can't find them and he has to like call and they're like playing the game and he like calls to like the, the floor and, you know, is, is talking to somebody on the floor. Um, it's like, we're in the middle of the game now. And he's like, you know, I can't find him. And they finally eventually find him in Kareem's car and he, you know, they bring them <laughs> back. And then there's also like, um, <clears throat> there's some, uh, frustration, you know, with, by Bob Dandridge with, uh, Costello, who, you know, who was also, you know, he's been there with the Bucks since 69, which is like Kareem was there. And then he's, you know, in, there's a quote before then from Costello saying, Oh, my system's easy. It's not that bad. And then he's like, yeah, what seems very easy to him is very difficult for a lot of players. Um, you know, it, it, it's just very confusing new, to new players and um, and they have so many new guys who's coming in. There's so many, you know, the basic offense doesn't change, but there's so many options. So it is confusing people. So the, it's just an illustration of like, Hey, the coach and the team aren't necessarily on the same page. And I, you know, you've kind of, I, I found where like with teams that have been together for quite a long time, you know, coach and player, it just like, there does seem to be like, eventually that frustration, that stuff does boil over, especially when you're having a season where you're, you're playing such a, such a disappointing level. So, yeah. And, and that happens with, I mean, you really look at the, the, the coaches in NBA history and, and it's very telling. Uh, I don't know if we, we discussed this on a podcast or, or, or not, but you look at the, the tenures and it's like Sloan and Popovich and there's a few others, but really even the best coaches, they just, at some point, they just, it, it, guys need to change, teams need to change, franchise need to change. I mean, just, it's not like you would assume where these guys are there for, you know, I mean, being there for 10 years is more, is not really the, 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 
the, the common thing. I mean, it's more, the, you know, the, the six to seven years is about where most of these guys end up going. And, and there's a few here and there in history. But, yeah, it's very rare that, that guys really stick around forever. It's just it just doesn't work. I mean, when you go between transitions of, of franchises and players or whatever, it just it always seems to get a little odd. And, and we've seen that even with the best uh, best coaches. I mean, Popovich is about the only one who's really just because really, I mean, it seems to haven't transitioned much and, and, and Sloan, obviously, but there was a lot of, I mean, we saw Sloan, I mean, Sloan probably could have still be here, but you know, we, the transition from a, a Malone and stocked into, you know, Darren Williams or whatever was too much for him to kind of work out either. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's funny because Larry Costello, who has led, you know, who, who had five plus seasons of 50 plus wins and, you know, led one of the greatest teams of all time, you know, has two more or two and a half for like two and a a quarter more years with the Bucks after this and then has one season with the Bulls, not even a full season with the Bulls. And then his NBA coaching career is done. He, you know, he coaches right. college for a long time. I believe I, I think Niagara university where he went to college, but um, you know, other than that, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, like a, a guy who would think, oh, you know, yeah, he had a few more options in college and, and you know, showed some, in, you know, initiative and in, in some, um, you know, inventiveness as a coach, you know, yeah, I mean, his his career ended, you know, not, not after not that much longer. So it just that sort of adds to your point, I think. Yeah, it, it, it's it's always NBA coaching is weird, and, and it's just a grind too. I mean, oh, absolutely. It, some of these guys, man, they just like like you see. There's certain guys, that, and I was talking with the buddy the other day, and and he's talking about how Steve Kerr has lost so much weight, and and then you know you look at NBA coaches, and they either do two things: they either the first few years that they start coaching, or they get back into the coaching ranks, they either lose like 20 pounds in like two weeks or whatever. Like like Doug Collins coaching and Doug Collins like announcer are like two different humans because like you can tell the guy just doesn't eat; he's probably just watching tape all day, or they, or they get really fat because they just like garbage food while they're watching tape or whatever but it's always funny that like nba coaches just like it, it's a ter- i mean it's it, I, i'm sure it's a fascinating job but man it, it's just such a grind Absolutely. on a day-to-day basis i mean just watching tape studying coaching traveling it's just it, it's insane NBA coaching is hard. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a little break and we're going to discuss the uh, trade that took Kareem to Los Angeles. And we're going to talk about a few years they spent with the Lakers. Here on the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast, now we're talking, uh, obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 70s, and one of the biggest parts of the 70s, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, was his move from Milwaukee to the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, real quick here, going over the trade, and and one thing I wanted to do is sort of look at the win shares and see who got the better of this trade, Jason. I, I, don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's been decided yet, but I think we, right now, are going to decide... Did the Bucks or the Lakers make out in this Kareem Abdul-Jabbar trade? Uh, anyway, uh, Milwaukee acquired Elmore Smith, uh, guard Brian Winters, and rookie, quote, blue chippers. This is from articles, blue chippers, Dave Myers and Junior Bridgman. So uh, total win shares with Milwaukee for those guys. Uh, Smith had 9.5, Winters had 37.5, Myers had 13.4, and then Bridgman had 40.4. So so pretty good. I mean, they, in total, they got 100.9 win shares out of all those guys. Uh, Kareem with the Lakers, though, uh, 158.7. So I think... 
I'm not ready to say Kareem. Won. I'm not ready to say Lakers won, but uh, the the extra sixty win shares or so were probably uh, not too bad. But no, it's uh, it was pretty obvious. I think all told, though, out of the trade, I think that the Bucks did pretty well. I mean, a lot of times you look at these, and and, and in modern history now, you get these these sort of superstar for for a pile of guys trades, and and a lot of them are just total wrecks. I mean, where you look at Orlando and Dwight Howard or whatever, and it's just basically like you're just stuck with ineptitude, you know, for for years. And the Bucks, they, it took a little while for them to get sort of back on the wheel. And we talked about it with, with Dakota, but all told, I think they did kind of okay with this. They weren't a total wreck afterwards. It wasn't like they were winning 10 games a year, yeah. you know, for the five years afterwards, where you see with modern, you know, Dwight Howard, I mentioned, um, you know, the Nuggets were able to do pretty well without Carmelo, but, you know, it doesn't go to, I mean, the, 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 the now Pelicans, former Hornets or whatever, after Chris Paul had a, had a huge, you know, downturn. It, it happens to a lot of guys, but, but in this, the Milwaukee, I think came out okay. But yeah, I mean, Winters and Bridgman ended up being like, you know, pretty good role players for them. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they weren't stars or anything, but you know, you could definitely have done, done worse. I think the funny thing is that, you know, that part of that, of course, you know, that, that deal, the idea was to get youth behind it, to get guys who would be in the league after Kareem was gone. But like they, uh, Kareem ended up outlasting all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you know I mean, they couldn't have known, <laughs> they right? Known yeah, but in a couple of them were rookies that year. So yeah, I, yeah, nobody knew, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, there's um, there's a lot of art, good articles that kind of have recapped aspects of it, but there's a really good one from the LA Times in '87, actually Christmas of '87, where basically like kind of completely recaps, you know, how Kareem ended up with the Lakers, and basically, I mean, he they. The first meeting between, you know, Wayne Embry, who was the GM of the Bucks by then, he was the first African-American GM in the league and, um, you know, other management with, uh, you know, and also and Kareem and his representatives basically. Actually, I'm not even sure Kareem was at that, but Kareem's representatives were there. And it was basically like, you know, they and said like, hey, he wants to be traded. Um, he wanted it, you know, and according to Embry, he wanted to be traded to New York. Apparently, his second preference was Washington. His third preference was L.A. Now. There's dispute over the different articles whether he really wanted to go to Washington or not because um, this would have been after the shooting in Washington, and that was sort of described as a reason why he wouldn't have wanted to go there, but why he would have wanted to go there before then is is questionable. But anyway, basically, there were limited options, of course. He also had basically the threat of I could go to the ABA if I wanted to and go to the Nets. You know, he'd have to sit out a year, but, you know, that wasn't – Apparently not a huge issue, and it was basically said you know, there wasn't dissatisfaction with us. He just wanted to be traded from Milwaukee because his lifestyle and the lifestyle there were not compatible. So, um, and they basically kept it quiet for almost the entire season. I mean, he finally confirmed it in March of '75, and the trade happened in June. Although he kind of converted it like in vague ways, in which it's like, well, you know. Like I'm not, I don't not not want to get traded, but it wasn't like he demanded a trade. But but it, you know, it was sort of like considering you know we hear every rumor now, and we're in a different media environment, of course. It, 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 you know, the, no star player, Kevin Durant could not you know request a trade now, and we wouldn't hear about it for you. That's that's almost impossible to believe that. Right. I mean, there are obviously <laughs> some front offices that are better ships than others, but um, you know, it, the fact. That it, you know, um, it, it it seems impossible in today's media environment that could possibly happen. No, I mean, God, we we I, we we look for, and not only, I mean, we 
today's modern media doesn't know they, they create it on their own like the the kevin Dur- is kevin durant going to washington dc and he's like i haven't said anything like why are you telling me or like oh he somebody asked him and he, he didn't immediately say no so that means like yes it's it's yeah we, we look for it now whereas yeah i don't think uh, especially with stars and especially in stars and cities that we just assume that they shouldn't you know be happy and you know what i mean where where you know it's so out of the realm of possibility that russell westbrook and kevin durant could be happy in oklahoma city so we have to like you know today or, or this week we had well you know russell westbrook maybe he'll go to la and then like an la it's just yeah there, there'd be no way it would last this long yeah I, or a day or i mean they'd already be talking about it you know prior there'd be 10 bleacher report articles on <laughs> you know ways the cream can go to whatever team and it's only the big markets or whatever yeah no it, it, no way sure although you know this is of course like the i mean it, it's in a sense maybe the first you know time a superstar is at his asked out of a city and that trade happening. I mean, um, you know, Wilt was traded. He's, but he's really the only other franchise player who was traded. I know the first mm-hmm. trade was you know, the Warriors basically like, we're losing with you. We might as well trade you. And then right. I, I, I don't remember this, this, the, the trade to the Lakers, the circumstances there, if that was, you know, more on Wilt or so, but Wilt was older by then anyway. I mean, this is Kareem's prime essentially, you know? Um, so, um, so anyway, the trade happens. He ends up with the uh, he ends up with the Lakers. They, um, of course, you know, having traded four players, you know, young players, they're kind of in a rebuilding situation a little bit anyway. Coming out of the, um, you know, West is retired, of course. Um, Chamberlain is required is retired, so they're they're kind of rebuilding. They do still have um, Gail Goodrich, who's but he's thirty two at this point, so he's um, he's older. Um, Lucius Allen is there, of course, Kareem's uh, teammate in his third stop now, um, but there isn't really a whole lot of um, you know other than that. Th- th- those are the only three above average players. They have Cassie Russell, who's thirty one, who's you know a, a decent role player player but getting older obviously and uh they have a young Kermit Washington who hasn't really uh figured things out yet they also have a 30 year old Pat Riley who plays 23 minutes and is a 7.4 PER so mm-hmm. um so that's always fun uh I I, I forgot that Pat and uh Kareem actually played together yeah no yeah I didn't know that yeah. I mean I knew that I knew <laughs> they played you know at the same time but I didn't know they actually played on the uh Lakers together so um now they actually finish forty and forty-two and miss the playoffs, and the Bucks finish thirty-eight and forty-four, and they make the playoffs because they won their division. So, uh, <laughs> so that that's that's kind of funny. Um, but uh, yeah, sort of a strange year. Um, yeah, that's that wins your division. That's yeah. God, so um, not only to sneak in because like there's not enough playoff teams. No, they won their division with that record. That's right. Unbelievable. So. Um, uh, and, um, you know, and it's kind of odd because, you know, th- you know, th- this year, you know, kind of the previous year and through the end of his Lakers tenure, I mean, he has the least amount of team success beside, despite being ages 27 to 31. Yeah. Like his it's... career path did not follow, you know, kind of what you expect. I mean, he, he, I wouldn't say peaked, but he had so much success so early and just these unbelievable seasons. He's winning all these MVPs. I mean, we haven't even like really like mentioned like the fact that like, hey, he won three MVPs. Oh, he was racking up MVPs during all the time. He won three MVPs in five years. He won MVPs in 71, 72, 74 um, and is uh, and uh, let's see uh, 
in 76 this season. He would win it in 76 as well. So uh, would, would win it the following year in 77 and then would win it in, in 1980, which is his, his sixth MVP. So, um, yeah, so obviously incredible. Um, he, he's having these incredible individual seasons and he bounces back, you know, on a, you know, just a production level after, like we mentioned, uh, slightly being down, um, you know, from uh, from previous seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, leads the league in, in rebounding as well, so is just um, you know doing some doing tremendous things as you would expect. Um, and then the, uh, the he also starts doing yoga this year in '76 to you know uh, improve his flexibility. Says so there's no way you could have played as long as he did without yoga. Basically, um, was a pioneer in terms of like his diet and yoga to have flexibility and, and weight training, you know, was a ahead of the curve on that level as well, which of course is one of the reasons why he was able to play for so long. Certainly. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's, you hear about that with a lot of guys. I wonder, it's, it's always weird how, how nobody just, Immediately just – I mean you hear like LeBron will mention that he does it now or he does it recently. I wish the guys just start doing yoga, right? Like just get ahead of the game and start doing yoga. Yes. It's always – guys always figure it out like later in their life or like yeah. halfway through. It's like, you know, just start doing it now. Well, See what in, like, in the 70s, it's a little more understandable. But No, I get that. No, yeah. I get I, I get Kareem. Yeah, that, that one was – and I'm sure he enjoyed it. That's uh, that's that's Kareem in, the, in, in mid-70s prime right there with the yoga. But Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So – um. So in 76 and 77, they actually improved. They, uh, they finished 53 and 29. Jerry West becomes their coach, and he's only their coach because of a lawsuit. <laughs> he and the team were embroiled in some legal action because, you know, West retired, but I guess he had some um, – he still had some years on his contract, and um, – I, I, he wrote about it in his in his book, which is really interesting and good. Um, and uh, they basically, you know, he and the and the team owner, who was Jack Ken Cook at the time, who also owned the Redskins and was, you know, famous rich guy. Um, you know, they ended up coming to terms on a lawsuit settlement, and he's like, "Yeah, we're you're gonna you're gonna be our coach, essentially, I guess, to sort of fulfill that contract." Um, <laughs> but they end up fifty three and twenty nine. Um, they actually end, which is. Unbelievably, fifty-three and twenty-nine is the best uh, record in the NBA that year. Like we, you know, as we mentioned, sort of the uh, parody. This is the seventy-six, seventy-seven season. Um, but they're, um, you know, in terms of um, simple ratings, they're like uh, sixth in the league. So that you know, so it's not quite as impressive as um, as it looks. Although you know, obviously, having the best record in the league is still is still pretty good. Um, and there's a SI article about like how basically they come together basically everyone's uh bafflement and i i love the quotes of jerry west uh <laughs> as a as a coach you know uh heck when i played we never ran any plays says west i didn't know anything <laughs> and uh and kareem talks about like oh he's happy again winning makes me happy it's what made milwaukee tolerable so um <laughs> yeah. and um so they they play well. They play the Blazers very well that year during the regular season. The Blazers. This is of course the the, the famous seventy uh, yeah. seven championship Blazers team, and they end up um, sweeping the Lakers in the playoffs. I I believe the Lakers have um, injuries again during this um, series, um, so they're not quite at full strength um, during so. But um, and Kermit Washington, in fact, missed the whole playoffs, and Lucius Allen. Was also where this was Kermit Washington sort of um, going from like you know 
can barely play to being like an emerging star, um, you know, as, as a power forward. Um, and, um, and it's, it's going to unfortunately take a turn the next season. But, um, and of course this is like, it is, um, build in to a certain degree as like a passing of the torch of like, okay, now, you know, Walton is, you know, now Walton's the guy more over Kareem, you know, um, And there's a sort of a famous dunk that punctuates that during this series. Yeah, certainly, and 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 they're they're a fun team to watch uh, with tapes as well. And 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 you finally start to get, uh, you know, Kareem. It, it, you're starting to get that success again, which which is fun to see with him because it's sort of disappointing. You know, we talked about we just talked about how it's it's very weird how you know during his prime years he's not getting success, but when you know he's 22 or and 21, he's you know just showered with success. Very interesting, but it's good to see them sort of get back on the, on this right path and see him sort of take back the reins as being you know one of the better you know or the, or the best player in the league at that point. Right, exactly. So, um, and. Um, in the 70, 78 season, um, they are 43 and 37, which is basically the seventh best record in the NBA. And uh, Kareem is uh, injured himself in the uh, first game of the season <laughs> when he breaks his hand after uh, punching uh, Kent Benson, who played for Milwaukee, was the uh, first um, pick in the draft, was sort of like. Um, you know, a had uh, played for Indiana and was I, I believe uh, that was the year the Indiana had gone undefeated. So he was like, you know, a a, a big college star is the point, you know, and uh, he had elbowed Kareem in the stomach and then Kareem just like, you know, um, doubled over and then re- recovered and, and then just knocked. <laughs> I can't have you, ever, have you watched the video? You watched the oh, video yeah. of it recently? Yeah. He gets a nice shot in too. Yeah, I mean he <laughs> so, knocks him, you know, knocks him down. I mean that's a that's a heck of a one. So and they have a, they have a picture. I don't know if you've seen it on Google too. Of the picture of him, you know, the post. <laughs> he's all swollen and and it, yeah, he gets a he gets a good shot. Absolutely, and um, and so he's out for two months. Didn't actually get suspended, um, but um, he missed twenty games. It's his only year that he was not uh, picked as an All Star. Um, and, um, you know, and there's definitely a pretty big backlash against him. This is during a time in which the NBA, you know, there's, there's the drug issues. There's a lot of fighting going on, uh, you know, basketball, which it sort of, you know, did not become the, 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 um, sport of the seventies, although it did, uh, eventually those promises kind of came true by the mid eighties, but just took longer than everyone expected that people expected it to, who were touting it as that. And, you know, it, it adds some turmoil. And then, um, right after Kareem gets back 23 games, in fact, there's the infamous Kermit Washington and Rudy Tomjanovich fight that is, you, you know, for, Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, that's a whole other podcast. But basically, <laughs> you know, Tom Tom Donovich is trying to break up a fight between Washington and Kevin Conner. And then he runs behind Washington. Washington turns around, just hits him with a, a punch that shatters his face and, you know, threatens his life and his career. And um, Washington is traded, you know, almost immediately afterward because, uh, you know, just like um, – the I and Kareem says just the idea that they couldn't have him and Kermit together because of just the backlash because of both of them and the fighting and the perception that they both have. So this is kind of like maybe a a, a you know the, the the a bottom point for Kareem's um, 
perception in term, you know, among the media and maybe some of the fans too. So, um, so they end up falling in the first round of the Sonics. There's a bunch of they end up adding Norm Nixon, Lou Hudson, Adrian Dantley, and Jamal Wilkes. Other than Hudson, mostly young guys, you know, kind of building for the future. Hudson, who had been an all-star with the Hawks for most of his career, but sort of as an aging guy. So, you know, like, you know, we sort of said, like, our OK career, but end up falling to the Sonics who went to the finals that year. Yes. And then kind of his final year uh, with the Lakers, um, you know, uh, that we're going to discuss anyway, the 78, 79 season, similar record when 47 games are tied for sixth in the NBA. They um, have a similar fate fate in the postseason. They end up making beating Denver in the first round and uh, falling to the Sonics uh, four to one in the second round. The Sonics end up winning the championship that year. So, um, so uh, they um, and there's an article that year of basically the idea of Kareem not being the same since the fight, although it really um, st- stats wise, he, he seems fine. They even kind of mentioned that in the article. But the idea is that he doesn't look the same on the court. He looks disinterested. Bill Walton has replaced Kareem as many eyes as the NBA's consummate center. That's going to obviously change soon. Um, and then there was. um uh, they talked to a player who Charlie Scott, who played with the um, Lakers the year before, basically didn't like his philosophy. And his quote is says in L.A., we had 22 seconds to get Kareem a skyhook. If we couldn't, we had two seconds to try something, <laughs> which, you know, you could see that, especially with like Jerry West Certainly. not being an experienced coach. Like you could see that the playbook probably wouldn't be that interesting, and you yes, kind of give Kareem the ball, Kareem good, right? <laughs> which, you know, obviously, yeah, it makes sense to design your offense around Kareem, but you know, there's obviously limitations to that and you look at something like with the criticisms that like somebody, um, uh, you know, that, um, uh, Scott Brooks has now with, you know, Durant and Westbrook of just sort of being like an, you know, a, not that interesting dynamic offense, even though it's effective, you could kind of see there being maybe the same thing in this situation. Sure. Where it's just too easy to give that guy the ball and let him sort of operate in in the sense with Durant and Westbrook, where they just you know, yeah, you could totally see that. And 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 you mentioned a little bit in our show notes here about the the roster turmoil was ridiculous. They had thirty seven teammates in these first four years yeah. for Kareem. I mean, just just couldn't get anything together, and just a very odd, weird mix of a team that just just. Thankfully, <laughs> I think things are going to turn around okay for LA. But yeah, in this period, just very odd. And and you're seeing, you know, statistically, yeah, Kareem is is doing just as well, or or, or you know, nearly as well as he was prior. But the success just isn't there. And 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 you you can see how sort of the narrative would sort of turn on him now because here's a guy who who had so much success in Milwaukee. You know, he demands a trade. He comes here. You know, now he's he's punching people. They're not winning. And you can totally see how the the, the tide would sort of turn on him. But as we'll see, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, rather, uh, things would change. Yeah. For well, I mean, so. the Lakers' success is unfortunate for you, for your your yes, your exactly. Fandom, my but, undying hatred of, of right, <laughs> exactly. But um, so he, um, uh, yeah, and but they do sort of build a foundation for the future here, you know, because this year they have norm nixon who's going to be who's an important player for um this team jamal wilkes of course who's in his fourth season to come over from the warriors who was big nixon was in his first season um 
Adrian Dantley was in his second season. He, of course, wouldn't stick around with the Lakers, but obviously became a great player in the 80s and, you know, had that talent. And they also had Michael Cooper, who didn't play much as a rookie, but of course would be an important defensive specialist for the Lakers. So even though, yeah, they, you know, didn't have, they, they kind of had a mix of players who were kind of too old or too young around Kareem for the most part during the 70s. Um, but, um, you know, they're, they're building that foundation that they're going to add with, um, you know, Kareem. So, um, Stanley on the, on the Lakers would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, well there was sort of concern I mean, about him and Wilkes, Wilkes and Dantley overlapping. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, Dantley was always kind of like, he had that reputation where like individually, like he seemed like an awesome player, but it was tough to get him to fit with other guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there have sort of been some studies about that too, of just like him, you know, maybe just needing to use too many possessions or whatever, even though he was like tremendously efficient for, with scoring and the free throw shooting, um, you know, for whatever reason, it just was, even though like, he was on some very good Detroit teams and he, he sure. was on some other good, you know, some good Utah teams too. But yeah, for whatever reason, it just, um, yeah, he, you know, even though he was a Hall of Famer, it just, you know, maybe it wouldn't have worked, you know, on those Lakers teams because, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been able to fit into that role. Absolutely. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, just, yeah. yeah. But you're right. I just, of, yeah, yeah. Imagining that, obviously, I mean, you know, it would be, it would be, you know, they'd already, I'm just going to extrapolate yeah. Adrian Danley onto the sure, Lakers. So there you go. <laughs> so there, um, so, yeah, I mean, the the final successful playoff series they have, um, you know, L.A. lost the first game to Denver and Denver kind of got cocky and then and Kareem didn't play very well in that first game. He kind of gets outplayed by Dan So, But then in um, game three, he had 29 points on 13 of 19 shooting, 16 rebounds, eight assists and six block shots in 48 min- in all 48 minutes of the game and also swatted David Thompson's uh attempted a game winner. So um, just has an incredible game there and kind of reminds everybody, you know, even at age 32 or 31 or 32 at that point, he is still, you know, he's still the man. So, uh, and then of course, uh, you know, famously in the, uh, to close out the decade, uh, he is in the movie airplane um, where he's of course the pilot in that movie. And uh, you know, it, it airplane is a satire uh, film and um, so there's um, kind of a famous scene. I mean, there's a lot of famous scenes in that movie, but one where um, there's a kid in the cockpit and he keeps like saying like, oh, you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You're not, you know, whatever his character's name is. And then finally uh, he gets frustrated at, you know, uh, you tell your old man to drag Walton and Lanier up and down the court 48 minutes. Yeah, he <laughs> likes it. You know, famous line. Yeah, because he says so. his dad calls him lazy and loafer. And, right. and it's funny because you, you sort of, we, we talked about it where, where that narrative was kind of <laughs> yes, coming around. Exactly. You know, him. So, it, and, and it's played up in that. And it, it's fun that Kareem kind of laugh at that. But yeah, he sort of he says, "Oh, well, you're not Kareem, but yeah, because my dad says Kareem, you know, he's lazy and it or whatever." And then yeah, then he snaps or whatever. Well, one of the classic moments of a, a, a awesome, awesome classic movie as well. Yeah. So, so, um, so I think we're gonna take a uh, we're gonna take a short break and then we're going to uh, head back to uh, wrap a little bit uh, up of Kareem in the 1970s. You want me to check the weather, Clarence? No, why don't you take care of it, Joey? You ever hang around the gymnasium? We better get back now, Joey. No, Joey can stay here for a while if you'd like. Could I? Okay, if you don't get in the way. Flight 209 to Denver Radio. Climbing to cruise at 42,000. We'll report again over Lincoln. Over and out. Wait a minute. I know you. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You play basketball for the Los Angeles Lakers. 
I'm sorry, son, but you must have me confused with someone else. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm the co-pilot. You are, Kareem. I've seen you play. My dad's got season tickets. I think you should go back to your seat now, Joey. Right, Clarence? Oh, he's not bothering anyone. Let him stay here. All right, but just remember, my name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. I think you're the greatest, but my dad says you don't work hard enough on defense. And he says that lots of times you don't even run down court. And that you don't really try, except during the playoffs. The hell I don't. Listen to me. I've been hearing that crap ever since I was at UCLA. I'm out there busting my buns every night. Tell your old man to drag Walton and O'Neill up and down the court for 48 minutes. All right, and we're back with our conclusion here about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 1970s. Um, I did a little bit of play indexing here, as we're wont to do at the end of these podcasts, just kind of look at him, uh, you know, all time and where he ranks and efficiency and all this other good stuff. Uh, a few things that came up here, and there, there's there, there's interesting, there, there was something that we'll get to here in a, in a sec, but um, about maybe, you know, not, uh, you know, we talked about the all-time great, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit where sort of he would we would put him in the all-time greats. You know, obviously we didn't do a whole career retrospective here, just the seventies, but I think we're, we're, we're able to do that. We'll, you know, go back into the eighties and nineties sometime soon, but uh, a few things here about Kareem. Uh, he's one of 11 players all time to have 10,000 points in his first five seasons, which is, is incredible. Uh, the only one that had any more or had more points in his first five was obviously Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, but of those 11, Kareem had the highest field goal percentage. So he's the most efficient of, of those guys who, who got 10,000, you know, in their first, um, Five years. Uh, Kareem is only one of two players. The other is Charles Barkley to have over 20 points, 10 rebounds, and a true shooting percentage above 59%. So just something I was kind of shocked that Barkley was in there. But, but yeah, you look at a guy who, you know, you know, great point for game, great rebounders, and also efficient shooters. It, it doesn't happen all that often. So, so good to see for, for him. And yeah, I was very shocked to see Barkley. Did that interest you at all? Yeah, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't, yeah, I didn't think Barkley was going to be there. Yeah, you, wouldn't, yeah. you know, you don't think of Kareem and Barkley as at all similar players, but, no. um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they were, they were productive scorers and rebounders and efficient. So that, that makes sense. Uh, Which is funny too, because he also had those Barkley years. Do you remember the, there was those years where he was just shooting threes, like for no reason? And he was like, I terrible. mean, he it was like Antoine Walker bad at shooting threes. Right, for but he was so fantastic at everything else. And it, right. yeah, it, it didn't, I mean, it, it hurt, that but it didn't Antoine. hurt. You know, he's still, he was still amazing. Yeah. That could have been your 0405, uh, the Antoine Walker. Oh, that's three. true. Well, I did, that's I did right. Kevin I didn't Wolf. know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I did Kevin Wolf already. Was... So, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to shove in people's faces, Rich. No, no, no. I'm just mad. If we didn't do the Kevin Willis, that could have been a good That would have been good, yes. Because so, I was worried how we were going to bring it up later, yeah. but that would have been a good I just, one. I um, just jammed it in rather than try to do it organically. <laughs> that was my, that was what I tried to do. Yeah. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting, and I, and I did want to have a bigger discussion maybe when we're done with the, this segment here, is uh, Kareem only has two of the top 30 uh, PR seasons of all time. Uh, he ranked 19th and 29th. Um, here's how he's kind of comfortable to other guys in this top 30. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain has three in the top 30. LeBron has six. Uh, Michael Jordan has seven. David Robinson has two. And then Shaq only has five. Um, wh- what is worth noting, though, is he did, however, lead the league in, uh, in PR nine different times. So while he might not have the gaudiest PR numbers that would rank, you know, kind of all-time top 30, he led his league and he, he obviously led his contemporaries. But uh, we can have a discussion about PR, you know, maybe in another podcast or later here. But that's maybe where you look at, 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 you know, the limitations of the statistic in a lot of ways because he led his league, you know, blocks weren't counted for a few of the years, you know, offensive rebounds weren't necessarily counted. There, there's things that I think probably, 
probably factored into that, but but I think he's still worth having a discussion of the best of all time, even if PR doesn't say this, the same. Um, another stat that I think does reflect very well on Kareem is uh, win shares per 48, which we're, we, we use very often you know, in this podcast. Uh, he has the first, second, and fourth highest win shares uh, per 48 of, of all time. Uh, and then he has four in the top 30. Only uh, Michael Jordan has more with six. So so that's where we see a, a PR might not rank him as high, but, but a, a win shares per 48 uh, definitely does. And... Um, <laughs> Oh Jesus! Okay, <laughs> so dog cameo. Walking by the door, and that is that is not okay. Apparently, <laughs> in my apartment complex. Okay, we got it. We're almost done with Kareem. I promise. So, uh, 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 some a note that you sort of mentioned at the top of the the show, but you really have to. It, it, it's unbelievable to think about again is is Kareem and his success. The the individual success and the team success that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had is unbelievable. Uh, his team's won titles in seventy one, eighty, eighty two, eighty five, eighty seven, eighty eight, and then he lost NBA titles. Uh, in, in 70, 72, 74, 77, 79, 83, 84, 89. Yeah, they they uh, lost to that. That was years they lost to NBA champs. So yeah, sorry, so they went to yeah. the finals ten times. Uh, so it wasn't every year of those. But yeah, they they lost to the NBA champs in those seasons. Right. Yes. Uh, and lost to the NBA finalists. Uh, you have here. Uh, runner ups. Yeah. Runners up. Yeah. yeah. Runner ups. Uh, Seventy eight, eighty one, and eighty six as well. And then the uh, only years uh, his teams didn't lose to the uh, to the NBA champs or the finalists was uh, 73, 75, and seventy six. So yeah. <laughs> as you said, uh, seventeen times they either won the title or lost in the championship, which is just ungodly, unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, really, because seventy five and seventy six they didn't make the playoffs. So seventy three is the only playoff series that Kareem lost that wasn't to either the champion or the runner up. Unbelievable. Just like that's like, uh, and that's that, that I, I don't think that's just a coincidence. No, I I don't. I mean, there, there's, some, there's some luck involved in that, but but that some I think later. that says something. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty telling. Um. A few other notes here. Kareem's team won uh, 60 plus games eight times and 53 plus games 15 times. So really just unbelievable success. Uh, and then uh, thankfully, uh, Basketball Reference recently added a uh, value over replacement player uh, to their their pocket of uh, statistics here. And uh, he has the best seasons um, by a center in, in that category. And then three of the top five and then six of the top 20. So obviously this is only calculated uh, since 73, 74. But yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, that we see kind of PR doesn't rank them all as that well. Uh, win shares per 48 ranks them very well. And the value over replacement player obviously ranks them very well as, uh, you know, as well. So so very interesting to see how kind of the advanced stats look at, at, at Kareem and, and how you can sort of judge him all time. But uh, w- what are your thoughts? I mean, just really quick. I mean, obviously, we don't we, I think that's time for a bigger podcast. But you mentioned at the top. I mean, he's a guy that, that should be in the conversation, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big things with him are, I mean, he has an incredible peak. I mean, he just has some of the great individual seasons of all time and a, a you know, stretch of them, those, you know, those six MVPs. And I, I think five of them in uh, in seven or eight years um, and six of them in one decade. So, you know, he was a great player at, at his peak. I mean, all those, you know, NBA first teams and the I mean, no one matches. I, I don't know if there's anybody who matches or, or who exceeds that. There are players who may match that and be at that similar level for that time, but nobody beats him there. You know, um, he has six titles. He was, you know, the the 
the, the first or most second most important player in at least four of those titles. You know, I mean, he was 87 and 88. He was important, but he was, you know, less important. I mean, Magic was clearly the best player in those teams. The other the, the other teams, you know, um, he was still, you know, they, they went through him. You know, that those were his teams. I mean, you know, you might you could argue Magic was better. And he probably was, particularly in the later ones. But, you know, still, I mean, it wasn't like he was just long for the ride is my point. I mean, he was sure. he was a key part of those teams and the best player on several of them. Um, and I, I think the longevity is really important. I mean, I did. I did yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he played 57,000 minutes in his career, um, you know, and, and Jordan, by comparison, played 41,000 minutes, which is still a lot. But um, I mean, he played like, you know, basically another role player's career more than than you know uh, Jordan did, and I I think that means something to be. You know, I'm not saying that he was necessarily excellent all those ex all that extra time, but he was for a lot of it. You know, I mean, it wasn't really until his last season where like he finally okay, it, it was finally like clear that like he wasn't the same you know maybe last couple years but i mean he was great up until age 38 and 39 i mean no one other than you know carl malone and maybe a couple other guys have it can can say anything like that you know maybe like you know tim duncan now and and kevin garnett are are being pretty good at that age but you know maybe you know in in uh in duncan's cage still great so um i i think those things kind of have to be considered um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying Kareem necessarily beats Jordan. I, I, like I said, I think we can have a bigger conversation about that in a different podcast, but I think those are sort of some things to think about when you're compared. I mean, that longevity and what it means and, huge. and to be great for that long or, you know, okay, maybe you put like, you know, maybe Jordan's 12 best season are a bit better than Kareem's next 12, 12 best seasons. But if you say, you know, between like, you know, season 13 and 17 or whatever, you know, however long Jordan played. Yeah, I, I, I think you can just, you know, if you look at it in some different ways, I think there's some conversations that are worth having there. And then there's other players, I think, who are in that conversation as well. Not not just those two. But I mean, those are, I think, you know, two that may have the strongest case. Yeah, I agree. I think the longevity is is super important, and and I don't want to get too much into it. I think we should definitely do it as a, as a separate podcast. But yeah, I think you really have to factor in the longevity, and and it's not just as you said, he's not like a Robert Parrish type or or a Kevin Willis or type or whatever. Where you know a lot, largely their last like you know not not half of their career, but the last quarter of their career is just kind of you know sticking along doing that. So I mean, Kareem was still a very productive player until that last year. And even in his last year, you look at his stats and they're not awful, but you can tell that it was sort of the beginning of the end. And it's good yeah. that he probably left then and didn't, you know, hang around for another, you know, three years just being awful. But well, I mean, he was already, I mean, he, God, yeah, I mean, I mean he was hurt that, that last time, yeah. year, but he still had yeah. 23 and 14 in a finals game, you know? I right. Mean, so, uh, uh, you know, it, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, P- Parrish ended up breaking his record for most seasons. Um, I think, I guess Willis, uh, Willis might have too, or Willis is, I, I think, may have the record for being the oldest player or, you know, or, or very close to it, uh, at least like kind of in a continuous career because um, there were some comebacks that were, you know, maybe a bit older. But <laughs> but basically, you know, he, um, yeah, he played, he played till 44. Um, so he missed one year there, but yeah. Um, Anyway, the point being is that, um, yeah, Kareem was great, and um, and, I, and I hope this illuminates some, you know, people to sort of look 
back at some of the stuff in the seventies and watching some of that video. I mean, some of those games were really exciting and interesting to watch. I mean, it's definitely a different style of play. Like you said, it's, it's wilder. <laughs> there is less care maybe. And maybe some of the shooting gets a little ugly sometimes, but um, yeah, I mean, just Kareem's a treat, especially early in his career. I mean, he does some things that like, you know, you just kind of like most of his highlights are sky hooks, but he did so many other different things too, other than the sky hook was obviously a huge yeah. weapon, but yeah. So, anything else you uh, want to talk about, or are we about? That's it for me. I think we've we've exhausted the cream in the seventies topic, and I'm glad this was a very fun show. This one we've we've wanted to do for a long time, and I think uh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and it, it was it was I really enjoyed. The biggest part was doing the research here and just watching the video, as I said, because it, it a lot of times we we have to. You know, I think you and I, we, we have to go back and look at this stuff a lot of times, and I hope that other people do it as well, to go back and really look. And, and, and a few of these videos, I was just shocked. Like I mentioned, the one where he gets the rebound and just takes it all the way down court was just like, whoa. I mean, like you just it, – it's stuff that you don't expect to see that you see that really makes it a lot of fun. So I, I definitely would encourage people to, to check – you know, look at old Kareem videos and, and, and really watch and, and, and see what he kind of did and, and, and 70s basketball in general. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm enjoying it more and more the more that I watch, you know. Um, so it's uh, it's it's fun to see. You know, it, I mean, in some cases, I'm I'm like just putting, like I know the names of the players. I know you know a bit or more than a bit about a career, but actually just like watch them and just kind of say, oh yeah, oh he did that, you know, and and just kind of see some of the comparisons that sure. were made. It's it's a lot of fun. Basketball history is cool. It's obviously one one of the major reasons why we do the podcast. So, all right, well. Um, Thanks, everyone, for checking us out. Of course, you can find us at thepodiumgain.com, which is a Hardwood Paroxysm Network basketball podcast. You can find us on that iTunes feed. Uh, if you type in Hardwood Paroxysm or Podium Game or even over and back NBA, I think any all of those at this point in iTunes will get you to our uh, podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Um and uh, we have a Tumblr page as well uh, that we're still trying to figure out what to do with, but it exists. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's about it, I think. Um, if you uh, if you like the show and um, if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving a comment on the Hardwood Paroxysm iTunes feed, that would be awesome. Uh, there's we, We're, of course, on there, and there's a lot of great other uh, shows that are part of the Podium game that you can uh, check out there. More and more as we uh, – as the site continues to grow um biscast ball the podium game podcast um and r squared and some other great shows they're all there and all um worth your attention so uh yeah do that all right rich well uh, uh it's been fun i i've uh, been having fun as well i'm glad you did yep. as well so uh everyone thanks for checking us out and we'll see you next time this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.